1928, the first winner for Outstanding Motion Picture was Wings. In a few minutes, uh, we'll know the 50th. The films nominated for the Academy Award this year are Annie Hall, Jack Rollins, Charles H. Jaffe Productions, United Artists, Charles H. Jaffe Producer. The Goodbye Girl, Ray Stark Production, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Warner Brothers, Ray Stark Producer. Julia, a 20th Century Fox Production, 20th Century Fox, Richard Roth Producer. Star Wars, a 20th Century Fox production, 20th Century Fox, Gary Kurtz, producer. The Turning Point, Hera Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And welcome to the official Friends of the Force Academy Awards special. It is Oscar week. We are so excited. The Oscars are back in town. It's been well over a year since we've had the Academy Awards in our lives. And just the the, the specialness of awards season, all of the outfits, most of which has been over Zoom call. And now we're going to have a live ceremony with the Oscars. It is just so exciting, Sarah. How, how are you feeling? Are you feeling amped up about, about Oscar season and just awards season and just in full swing? There is nothing better than these stupid awards. Uh, nothing. Nothing. Really nothing. They are the, they're really the best. And I'm a little sad that the panoramic has caused a disruption in my movie going habits because my Oscars are the, like, I love predicting the Oscars. The Oscars are my favorite time of year. And so I'm just glad they're back, even if I have not seen nearly as many movies this year as I would have liked to. Yeah. You know, we try our best. We tried as, as many as we could in the, in the time that we somehow find within our very busy weeks. And that's all you can really do is just watch as many as you can. But if you're out there wondering, why are we talking about the Academy Awards on today's episode? Well, this is a Star Wars podcast after all, Sarah. Did you know that? No. Oh, well, welcome. We're talking about Star Wars. I'm just throwing you in. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, um, I didn't prepare that part, but that's okay. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just roll with it. <laughs> Wait, but who made these 13 pages of notes on our Google Doc? Um, my alter ego. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's not here right now. Mm, she can't come <laughs> to the phone right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> well, for those of you wondering, we are talking about Star Wars at the Oscars, a history. So we're going to go back through some of the biggest moments at the Oscars for Star Wars, most of which have come in its very first Oscars appearance in 1978. So we're going to go through what was the best year for Star Wars at the Oscars when it really showed up and won a ton of awards, the most of any film that year, what the Oscar landscape has looked like for Star Wars since then. And then, Sarah, do you want to tell our listeners what we are doing right after that part? Well, right after the history. Friends of the Force, your hosts, Brad and Sarah, are hosting their own Oscar Award Friends Ceremony. And we're calling it the Golden Gorgs. So get ready for the first ever Golden Gorg Awards. No one's doing it like us, Sarah. The Golden Gorgs, proudly named after our favorite Star Wars resistance ingredient, a gorg ingredient like mm-hmm. edible edible fish species the gorg well, 
Yeah, because like also Niku eats the pet. Gorgs. Um, Gorgs go in the cake for the Gorg cake that they give to, to Tora Doza for her birthday that one year in uh, season mm-hmm, two. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gorgs have a very uh, esteemed history in Star Wars. So we felt it was, you know, we, we even built statues for this award, this very special awards show. It cost a lot of money. We and, will be sending uh, them out to the winners. So. Yeah. Yep. If you're a winner today, which I know this is a very prestigious award ceremony, you will mm-hmm. receive be receiving a personalized golden gorg in the mail. Um, don't worry about um, don't worry about you know giving us your address. We got you. It'll just yeah. show up one day. Don't worry about it. We got you, fam. And uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. I'm very excited for our first ever golden gorgs awards. Mm-hmm. It sounds mm-hmm. ridiculous, but I promise you, you're in for a good time. And then to wrap up the show. We are talking about this year's Oscars ceremony. So at the time of this recording, it's in a couple of days, which I'm very excited about. So we wanted to give you all some great movie recommendations that we think that you should watch, whether it's before the ceremony, after the ceremony. These movies are timeless. All movies are timeless in in a sense. And it is just a good year to sit and watch a movie. They're so accessible now. They're on streaming services. You can watch them on demand from your home safely. It's very exciting, Sarah. So I just think we wanna we wanna tell our listeners what's what's the what's what's good out there and what they should be tuning into. So yes, because our taste is impeccable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have perfect taste in movies. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Okay, so before we get into the history of Star Wars at the Oscars, I wanted to preface the conversation of why we are qualified to talk about this, and I will start by saying before turning it over to you. We love movies. We love movies so much, you and I. And we are not Oscar experts. We are not experts of of the Hollywood of Hollywood or the film industry or or any of those sorts of things necessarily, but we do we are tapped into it pretty pretty tightly and we do follow a lot of the news that happens. We listen to several different film podcasts, so we keep up on what's going on. I'm always tapped into awards season. I'm always live tweeting it cuz it's just fun as heck you know, watching people show up on the red carpet, watching, you know, big bombshell moments like Parasites win last year, which it's hard mm-hmm. to believe we had an Academy Awards last year because it happened right before, a couple weeks before the pandemic hit. And, Feels like a different time. Yeah, which by the way is when Ryan Johnson wore his iconic pork cufflinks, which were just oh, amazing. 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 But Sarah, why do Wait, you love... Oh, were, they the, were they in a knife? Did he wear the knives to another one then? Um, he... Oh, um, he wore several different cufflinks last year. Actually, you make a good point. I don't know if he wore the knives out ones last year or the poor cufflinks, but I know he did poor cufflinks at one point last year. He ha- he has both of them without a doubt. Yeah, maybe I'm <laughs> wrong, but he did he did also do knives out cufflinks. But he is just the cuffling king, honestly. I appreciate yes, it. I agree. Mm-hmm. But, but Sarah, why do you love the Oscars specifically? Why do you love this awards show? Why do you love awards season? Like, what is what is it about the magic and the mystery of of this time of the year that really sparks joy in you? And why are you so excited to be talking about it today? Well, I I want to first talk about my credentials. So sit down, film bros. I predicted twenty one <laughs> out of the twenty four categories last year. So I didn't wasn't in any pools for money, but I did a really good job and was really proud of myself. Thank you very much. Take that. Yeah. Um, I also had the opportunity to go to the Santa Barbara Film Festival as part of their film studies program last year. And I sat right behind Academy members, 
four nights in a row and was like, hmm, who are you voting for? And you could tell they really liked Renee Zellweger. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so that was really fun. I got to do that because that was in Santa Barbara and they got a lot of celebrities and stuff. So that's where I saw Adam Driver. But I love awards season. First of all, I have to acknowledge that they are stupid. Like, they are mm-hmm. so fundamentally flawed in so many ways. But at the same time, there is just such joy and excitement and fun when it comes to predicting awards, watching people accept awards, the fashion of it all. I live for it. It's just a fun time where a lot of great stuff and some bad stuff gets recognized. And, and it's really interesting to see who is recognizing what and why. And how I mean that, like campaigns and, you know, exposure to certain things, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of just as fun to be excited about a movie like Parasite winning as it is to be upset about a movie like A Portrait of a Lady on Fire not getting nominated, despite it being literal perfection. So there's a lot of, a lot to explore when it comes to the Oscars, whether it be the contemporary pieces of how it's made the history, the progress or the lack thereof, and what we think is going to happen every year. Mm -hmm. There's something that's set in stone about it, but there's also something mysterious about it. And that's what makes it really exciting every year. I mean, it it is one of the biggest senses of community in the the film industry, our our award shows. And like you said, they Mm -hmm. are ridiculous and they are silly. You know, these aren't the end all be all for what's a good film and what's not. You know, it's not necessarily that if you don't get nominated for an Oscar, it means you, you don't have a good film. It's just a very particular set of films that get nominated for these these award shows every year and the conversations that are driven throughout those couple months where, you know, they're campaigning and, and different award shows start to change the probabilities of who's going to win at the Oscars. And like, that's exciting. You know, it's even it's, it's very exciting to watch the lead up to the Oscars and say, oh, who mm-hmm. won at the SAG Awards? Who won at the Golden Globes? And try to use statistics and previous years to determine, you know, who has the best likelihood of winning. And then even when you do all of that correctly, it could still just as much surprise you and, and just drop a bombshell on you, which like last year, Parasite was a complete bombshell of a win, but it was something that was very exciting for, I don't think there was a single person. I mean, there probably were people who were upset about it, but you know, I think for the large majority of people, they were, it was really cool to see that win. Mm-hmm. So there's just something so special about watching a bunch of directors and screenwriters and various actors and and people that put their blood sweat and tears into film kind of get together in one room dress up really fancily and just laugh at some hopefully good jokes (laughs) and (laughs) yeah it's also cool for me to see some movies recognized that aren't otherwise getting any sort of mainstream attention yeah i am a particular champion of the shorts categories i love the shorts and i also love documentaries And, you know, those are things that oftentimes don't get a lot of mainstream attention because we're focusing on the blockbusters or focusing on the superheroes. And it's awesome to to see those movies get their their moment as well. And I think it helps. I mean, obviously, the award show helps boost people's careers in different ways. And so they're important in that sense. And it's fun to watch that happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're saying, Sarah, it is it is important. It is it does matter, you know. It matters when you are, you know, Academy Award winner, such and such, you know, that that carries a a very big weight to it. 
and uh, we've seen many careers made through the Oscars, and it's exciting to watch them paying attention to these films and watching a lot of stars rise up through the ranks. You know, like Riz Ahmed just got nominated for an Academy Award for Sound Sound of Metal. That's really cool. He's a Star Wars actor, and you know, I think he's really rising through the ranks and to see where he's going to go in the next couple years, you know, that's exciting. And it's exciting to be a part of that and to follow it. And I, I just love that aspect of, of award season. It's, it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun and it is just joyous. And I'm so happy we get to watch them in a couple of days because I have missed it. It's been way yep. too long. <laughs> Absolutely. Way too long. <laughs> yeah. I think with that, we can move forward in the conversation and let's get in our time machine, Sarah. And we're going to wind the clock back to... It's a long time ago. You could say in a galaxy far, far away. We're going back to the release of Star Wars, as it was originally called. And we're going to take a look at the wild, wild 1978 Oscars. We're in the plaza of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion of the Music Center in Los Angeles, California, for Oscars' golden anniversary. These crowds have been gathering since early morning to watch the arrival of the screen's most glamorous figures for tonight's milestone event, both yesterday's and today's. Okay, so first thing we got to start with is is the maker himself, George Lucas, and his tumultuous relationship with Hollywood. Because I think that's the funniest aspect of the 1978 Oscars is... Lucas kind of hates Hollywood. He kind of hates this award show. He doesn't want to really be there at all. And the only reason he ever actually went was because Marsha Lucas got a nomination for editing on Star Wars. And he was her plus one. <laughs> so looking at Lucas's previous experience with the Oscars. So THX was his first film. We just did an episode on that. No Academy Award nominations for that. American Graffiti. That was the first time anything he made got recognition at the oscars so he was nominated for best director he was nominated for best writing marcia lucas his wife was also nominated for best film editing so which she would later get nominated for in star wars so he had some experience there nothing nothing bit he didn't win anything at at, at that oscar ceremony in 1974 so i think he was a little bit delusioned with the entire idea of the Oscars and, and what they represented. And I think for him, he saw it more as a sales tool for studios rather than something that would recognize legitimate merit. So I found this quote from the book Skywalking, The Life and Films of George Lucas by Dale Pollock. And it says here that Lucas thought, quote, they're a farce, a hyped up way to sell films under the guise of art. Hollywood has returned his disdain. Lucas has never won an Oscar for writing, directing, or producing. Hollywood won't recognize Lucas as anything but a technocrat because the industry feels he has ridiculed them. Lucas has always prided himself on making his films outside of Hollywood where people make movies, not deals, end quote. So this is important because Lucas, as we talked about in THX, you know, he made that film and the studio came in at the very end and re-edited the film. They took out about five minutes. They did the same thing to him on American Graffiti, different studio. But then, nonetheless, his first two films were basically taken from this giant corporation, this giant film studio, and they told him, we're going to edit it around. And to him, that's not his film that he's putting out. He's very protective of his art. And that's where it kind of all began. He just, he just didn't appreciate the sort of inauthenticity of Hollywood. And this is a quote given in the same book from Lucas. He says, quote, I think some of the people in the movie business are sleazy and unscrupulous. And I would say probably the majority are that bad. There are also some people down there who I think are very honorable, good people. 
end quote. And I think for the most part, Lucas probably worked with a lot of people on the bad side of, of things that he, 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 he looked at unfavorably. So he just has a very complicated relationship with Hollywood. And he later, you know, by 1981 resigns from the Academy. He resigns from the Writers Guild. He resigns from the Directors Guild. And he, you know, is running Lucasfilm. It's a studio that he can make his own films through and not have to necessarily be answering to anybody for the most part. I just think it's interesting that Star Wars, you know, as, as it became a, a pop culture phenomenon at that time, is getting so much recognition. It's going so hard for its campaigning in the Oscar season. And then for George Lucas to kind of be this figure, this upcoming filmmaker who is very, very recognized, but has zero care for and, and wants nothing to do with the sort of cycle that Hollywood goes through once a year. I think it's interesting because he's not wrong in the sense that the Academy Awards are, are a sales tool and there's no doubt about that. Producers, studios put up a lot of money for Oscar campaigns to ensure that they get in front of Academy voters, you know, eyeballs so that they can be nominated. And that is how we know we don't talk about it in a positive light, but that is how Harvey Weinstein got so many movies from the Weinstein Company and so highly nominated. You think of Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love. That sort of stuff is really pushed um, by the studios and producers who put money behind movies that they want to win. And um, he's not, he's absolutely not wrong in that sense. And I, at the same time, I also think he's a very particular person who fundamentally believes that the director has the word has the say absolutely and and simply does not want the studio to do much more than you know put up the money and distribute it so i i think it's a combination of both one him being right and him also being particular and i think those are two both very valid things and i don't necessarily think he is wrong from resigning from the academy the writers guild and the directors guild he had to make a choice that was authentic to him and, and that was it and I have nothing but respect for that, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think that um, Dale Pollock here is saying that Hollywood won't recognize Lucas as anything but a technocrat um, in the quote that you talked about. I don't know where I stand on that because, of course, like Hollywood is made up of people. The Academy members are all people and they're people from various numbers of backgrounds. People that vote for Pest Picture are also sound people and actors. and. Um, you know, every met branch across the voting body votes for those awards. But I can definitely see where other writers or other directors would be disdainful of, of Lucas's uh, crit critical comments about them and, and choose to have a negative view of, of his work because of that or choose not to reward him for his work because of that. Well, yeah, and especially think the idea of you have this very well-established Hollywood and here comes this young upcoming student from USC who just made like one of the most successful films of all time. And he developed all this technology along with industrial light and magic to, you know, between the, the Dijkstra cam and all these visual effects that really broke ground. And here he is kind of turning, turning his nose to the sort of quote unquote game that you have to play, right? You have to do the campaign season. You have to show up, you have to dress nice, you have to be presentable, all those sorts of things. So here he is kind of going against that grain. So I, I do understand, you know, they, they thought probably of Lucas as somebody who wanted to shake the foundation a little bit. And I think he, he suffered a little bit for that just in terms of 
his recognition at these sorts of award shows and, you know, not winning Best Picture for American Graffiti, not winning Best Picture for Star Wars. So it is interesting. His, his, his relationship with Hollywood is interesting. And I do, like you said, think that he is, is very much somebody who likes to be in control mm-hmm. of his art and of, and of his, his work. And I do admire that, honestly. Like, I, I admire the hell out of that. I, I think that's... Sometimes we've seen that your art and your work can get so influenced by, by movie studios and by people who aren't necessarily the ones who are ever going to pick up a camera and uh, work with actors and, and work with scriptwriters, and they just kind of dictate what needs to be done. And that's not really how storytelling should work. But sometimes that's how the machine is, you know, and I think Lucas was very against that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now we're going to step away from talking about Lucas specifically and head right into the Oscar ceremony, the lead up to the Oscars, the 50th anniversary of these here Oscar awards. Big deal. Big, de- big deal. We're heading up. We're getting to the 100th of anniversary soon, which is crazy. But anyway, 1978, the 50th anniversary. So leading up to the ceremony, you have to get nominated. And for that, as like we were speaking a minute, a couple minutes ago, there is a four-year consideration campaign that is run for Star Wars. The first thing that they did majorly was that they were running special screenings for voting members leading up to the the nomination period. You're going to put out screenings in LA for the different bodies that you want, or I think now it's more general than the specific Mm -hmm. branches, but I could be wrong about that. I'm not a voting member. So they did a print ad in Variety advocating for George as best director at the Golden Globes in order to gain some momentum, push him, propel him into the Oscar conversation. He did not win the Golden Globes, but that did not mean that they stopped promoting him and the rest of the film in print. Um, there is an awesome two-page spread in magazines, in, and there are newspaper ads that share the ensemble and individuals that they would like to highlight in just about every category. I and love they, this ensemble spread. This spread is so cool. <laughs> we should tweet it out when the episode airs. Um, yeah, it's like this nice blue spread and has you know al guinness on there lucas marsha lucas it's 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 fantastic williams is on there it's great it's got everybody's face it has their name and what they did and i mean that's not all that dissimilar from the campaigns that people are running today for um publications like the hollywood reporter and variety these are valuable places to promote your film and put for your consideration ads in so what do you think about the promotional material that they did leading up to the nominations you just said that you really like this two-page spread but what about the rest of it yeah you know they had a very consistent look this 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 blue color that they kept pulling out you know it really pops when you look at it and i think star wars is really funny because you know they're running advanced screenings for voting members but like who hasn't seen star wars that year right like everybody (laughs) has seen star wars and it's still in theaters at this point yeah, so I think the idea that they're holding special screenings is hilarious because they, they are really pushing for it. And I think that just speaks to the confidence that, that 20th Century Fox had in, in their film. You know, it was something that they took a chance on that had a very rocky production in a sense, especially in the editing department. And that film came together almost by a miracle. So to now be in like the full swing of, of awards promotion and 
having this film out there for your consideration is is a is a huge step for them and and also just you know again speaks to the confidence of, of this up and coming filmmaker and this this crazy ragtag team of of people at ILM and what they've done for for film. Mhm. So in February of 1978, Star Wars earns 10 Academy Award nominations, okay? On my birthday, but oh in 1978. Oh my god. Yeah, it it was meant to be, Sarah. It was meant to be. It was all because of my eventual birth 20 <laughs> years later. So Star Wars gets nominated for Best Picture, Best Direction, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound, Best Costume Design, and Best Art Direction and Set Decoration. So it gets 10 nominations total. It's a pretty big deal. The Modesto B, which is, a, I think it's a newspaper out in uh, Modesto, which is where Lucas is from. Headline, Lucas' Star Wars wins 10 Oscar slots. It's a big deal for, you know, a Modesto native. And it says that, quote, Modesto-born George Lucas's Cinematic Battle of the Worlds won 10 nominations Tuesday. End quote. I love how it's described, a battle of the worlds. And they, funny enough, in the picture that they show of, of the Millennium Falcon, they, they say, like, uh, the Wookiee, and they spelled it with only one E. And then they said Pete Hamill instead of Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker. Which, what? I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Editors, what the heck? This movie yeah. is still in theaters at this point. <laughs> you but, can go see it and double check your work. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's worth noting that this is the most Academy Award nominations a Star Wars film has ever received. I, you know, mm-hmm. we'll talk about this a little more later, but this is really the strongest year for Star Wars. It, it pretty much fizzles out. For the most part, you know, every Star Wars film that's come since, uh, there hasn't been any Academy Award wins for almost uh, 30 years. So it's, it's been quite some time. And this year is just so monumental, again, because of the enormity of this film and the discussion around this film and how it's just like ingrained into the American lexicon at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and even the global lexicon. I mean, Star Wars is a global thing and it's just sweeping everything by storm. And they make so many jokes about it at the ceremony. It's, it's hilarious. Like, everybody's tapped into it. So we got our 10 nominations. We are primed, locked, and loaded for the 50th Academy Awards. So this is held in April. Shout out to our April Academy Award shows. Kindred spirits. <laughs> Happening late, again late this year in April. Yep. <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. So we jump right into the ceremony. It's hosted by Bob Hope. Uh, funny enough, the entire list of presenters goes out to all of the, uh, you know, it's the program for the official show. You got Bob Hope, Master of Ceremonies. Right below Bob Hope, the very first presenter, listed R2-D2. I think that is great <laughs> that he is listed yes, at the very out. top. R2-D2. R2-D2. Yes. A-R-T-O-O slash, or dash D-E-T-O-O. Iconic. It's, it's fantastic and you have to think at that time they're like what r2d2 who the heck is that how are they going to do that how are they going to bring a droid on the stage you know so it just goes to show the forward thinkingness of star wars and like how they were ready to just bring c3po and r2d2 out onto the stage it's incredible so sarah why don't you walk us through the opening number which was incredible it was an incredible way to start the show and also has some familial connections to star wars so Looking at the beginning of the ceremony, it opens with this big song and dance because Hollywood loves a big song and dance. And considering it's the 50th anniversary, the song is called Look How Far We've Come, and it is 
hosted, sung, and acted by none other than the iconic star of stage and screen, Debbie Reynolds. Oscar was born 50 years ago in Hollywood, California. The proud parent was the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The founders never dreamed that its fame would reach beyond California. But over a half a century, we've watched it grow into a symbol of excellence, not only here, but internationally. And we've all grown right along with Oscar. Look how far, how far, how far we've come. You know this, listener. You know this. You should know this. Who happens to be Carrie Fisher's mom? Oh, God bless him. And and this song not only features an ensemble of dancers and singers, but it also includes references to iconic movies of the past, as well as a bunch of former Oscar winners coming onto the stage in timed manner. Holding hands with one another. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Included in that, notably, is John Williams. The maestro. Of Star Wars fame. And, I mean, I, I, like 20 million other things fame. But um, in the Star Wars connection. And then Bob Hope, the master of ceremonies, opens the show and says, Good evening and welcome to the real Star Wars. Already. So there already, we go. You the know? Star Wars jokes are hitting fast <laughs> and they are getting lots of laughs. In 1977, we known as the year of Star Wars, which has grossed over $200 million. That's even more than some baseball players make. And that was also included in some of the promotional material as well you know, that these could be the real Star Wars. So maybe every Oscar ceremony is a real Star War. Ooh. Maybe that's what the Star Wars are. Scandalous. People. Yeah. Yeah, there's an old TV Guide magazine, too, that showed the Oscar statue and wrapped around it are the words Star Wars. So nice. it's just so funny. Isn't it just so hilarious looking back at 1978 and just seeing Bob Hope joke about Star Wars on stage as if it's just this, like, Kind of weird film that just came out from a bunch of, you know, upcoming visual effects artists and, and, and visionaries. They're just like, oh, this is kind of funny indie film that was just made by this Lucas guy. Let's joke about it. But it made a bunch of money. So I really, I really do think it's important to note and emphasize, getting back on track here, that this movie was still in its original theatrical run when these awards happened. And the nature of the blockbuster and the prestige movie is much different than that it is now. This is a very different environment than today, especially when it comes to the cost of movies, how many times people were seeing movies, especially a movie like this. We are at about eight or nine months. It was in its 45th week That's in theaters. crazy. That's crazy. That's nearly an entire year. Imagine, Brad, if you could go have, have seen the Last Jedi, or Knives Out, or any of your favorite movies, Paddington Two, <gasps> in theaters for a whole year. I would have gone to see Paddington Two every single week from January till September. I would have done it. Don't tempt I, me with a good time. I honestly believe it, and I wouldn't even be <laughs> mad at you for that because I think that's a really respectable choice. Um, that was but, the time of Movie Pass too, to be fair. So I could really yeah. go see a movie whenever. Rest in peace, Movie Pass. 
R.I.P. Movie Pass. AMC A list is, is pretty good, but we yeah, have to get yeah. movies back in theaters for order for yeah. it. To, like, Please. Make sense. <laughs> and also, it needs to be safe to go to theaters. You know, you know, lots of factors these days. Heading heading back to 1978 here, the nominations for the Oscars that Star Wars received boosted its box office grosses a whole 45 percent. And the week before, they earned five hundred and forty two thousand eight hundred and ninety seven dollars. The next week, they were bumped up to seven hundred and ninety thousand dollars. And that's crazy. That's that's a huge boost in the box office. 45 weeks after it came out. And they're still making nearly nearly like half a million dollars to a million dollars those two weeks. Insane. Yeah. Incredible. That's a Mm -hmm. lot of that's a lot of money. It really is. So it's it's incredible. Nothing. Nothing but respect for my Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars, a billion years in the making. The Force will be with you, always. It's really interesting to take this point in time and just examine it. You know, it's we talk a lot about Star Wars as a, a, a topic in terms of within the plot and how it was made, but also it's really fun to examine the reception to star wars and like we've said award season it is silly it is fun it doesn't really matter at the at the end of the day but it also does kind of matter a lot and at this time this was a huge deal because moving into the academy award nominations and which categories star wars took home it took home the most oscar wins of any film that year it took home six competitive oscars and it took home a special Oscar. So not something it had to be necessarily nominated for and go up against other competitors. It was given out an award. It was presented to Star Wars uh, as, a, as a token of uh, almost, uh, as a token of merit for, you know, a special achievement that, that it had surpassed, right? So I want to start with that special achievement award. The Star Wars. I saw it, and like you, I was enchanted by the performance of its hero. May the Force always be with him. Here is Mark Hamill. You got Mark Hamill coming out, being introduced by Bob Hope. Mark's wearing a tux, a bow tie, trailing him. uh, Trailing him is C-3PO, notably also in a bow tie. Farks be with me? Why not? Did I say that? <laughs> I don't believe that I said that. Did I say the farce, really? Well, I know the force has always been with R2-D2 rolls out on the stage. Very, very worth noting that this is one of the few times droids are going to appear on stage until, I think, 2016 when BB-8, C-3PO, and R2-D2 come out after The Force Awakens. Of course. I'm just as excited as you are. Now, do be quiet. You see, my friends here are a perfect example of the combined talents of actor and technician. (laughs) Creating creatures that never existed. (laughs) And sounds that have never been heard before. So this is interesting because this special achievement award is for sound it's what eventually is going to become the sound editing category but it it, it isn't at the time that this is given out so this award is first given out to close encounters of the third kind which when you think about the competition star wars was up against that's a pretty pivotal movie in in like pop culture history Mm -hmm. 
Steven Spielberg movie, um, very, very popular, very well known. So they give the award out first to that. And then out comes Ben Burt, <laughs> you know, infamous Ben Burt. Mark Hamill hands him the special award Oscar for, quote, the creation of the alien, creature, and robot voices featured in Star Wars, end quote. The award goes to Mr. Benjamin Burt Jr. And, and let, let it be clear that he was introduced as Benjamin Burt Jr. Oh, yes, we cannot forget. <laughs> uh, I'd like to specifically thank uh, Ken Mura of USC Cinema and producer Gary Curtis for giving me a start on this film and for associate producer Jim Nelson, whose great friendship and encouraged me and encouragement, <laughs> help me out, fellas, <laughs> uh, was helped me a lot during the film. And I'd like to, of course, thank George Lucas, who had all the great ideas and provided all the inspiration for the things in Star Wars. Thank you very much. And he's rocking the best mustache I've ever seen, ever. Ben Burt, you man, you man. Is in a bow tie. Yes. So the bow tie was the look, <laughs> which I have nothing but respect for. <laughs> and it's it's really interesting to see these pre-categorical awards come out as special achievement awards because they are a special achievement, but we would just nominate them today as uh, sound editing, which is so interesting because now the sound category is editing and mixing. The everyday person has no idea the difference between them. RIP those two categories they have just now become achievement and sound and so it's really interesting to see how that category has evolved and how recognition for sound achievement has evolved and i also think that these two winners close encounters and star wars are such apt and worthy winners of of sound achievement awards because you think about the landscape they created one that is so al- like quite literally alien and also familiar and sticks in the American zeitgeist over time. While Star Wars is why we're here, Close Encounters as a Third Kind also has such it has such an interesting audio landscape and language that it uses to give us something brand new and create something that has lasted for people and that is recognizable to those two specific films. So this is an excellent award if you ask me. And it's worth noting, I mean, this is Skywalker Sound. How many movies have you seen where you're like, oh, this is a great movie, and then Skywalker Sounds at the end? Knife's Out. I was watching Knife's Out. At the very end of the credits, you see Skywalker Sound. Mm-hmm, I don't think mm-hmm. we really understand how, I mean, we, I think some of us do, and it's sometimes something I take for granted and don't think enough about how important Skywalker Sound has been. This is very worth noting. Skywalker Sound staff, this is from Wikipedia. Skywalker Sound's staff of sound designers and re-recording mixers have either won or been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound and Best Sound Editing every year since Star Wars in 1977. So this is wow. the beginning of a, of a streak uh, of nominations at the Academy Awards. Skywalker Sound has won 15 Academy Awards and received 62 nominations. Incredible. It's incredible. And that, it all starts with Star Wars. And when we talk about how Ben Burt and Star Wars, like you said, change the landscape of sound mixing and sound editing, it is crucial. So yes, very, very warranted here. And I have to just emphasize one more time, Ben Burt and Bowtie, Ben Burt and Mustache is my favorite Ben Burt. 
Just saying. I have to mention that one more time. Respect. At least. A respectable opinion. Also, the Ben Burt holding an Oscar in his hands. Like that, again, just incredible. Incredible. We must stand. Barbara and I are pleased to give the sound award because, by coincidence, this is not only the Academy's 50th anniversary, it's also the 50th birthday of Sound Talking Pictures. So while they got a special achievement for sound for, quote, again, the alien creature and robot voices, they also won the award for best sound, the category that now exists in the 2021 Oscars. And this award was presented by William Holden and Barbara Stanwyck. If you don't know Barbara Stanwyck, she starred in many movies in the early Hollywood era. Iconic. Absolutely recommend her movies. But this one was won by Don McDougall, Ray West, Bob Minkler, and Derek Ball. Uh, this is really an honor, and Buzzy was right. Your hands do get wet. I'd certainly like to thank George and Gary for all they've done for us. They gave us an opportunity. How do you feel about the sound award, Brad? I mean, it brought a smile to George Lucas's face when the people were accepting the award on stage. It flashes over to George and... There he is, smiling at the Academy Awards. We know how much George hates being there, Sarah. <laughs> well, that, you know, that would earn from me a, an, a George Lucas okay sticker, <laughs> them winning. <laughs> well, you have to think, too, this is Star Wars' first competitive win of the night, Best Sound. So they get mm. the Special Achievement Award to start. Now here we are getting the very first Oscar one, which of many to come in the ceremony. Absolutely. All right for you. There are two nominations for Best Achievement in Special Visual Effects this 50th anniversary year. And they so looking at our next category, we have Best Visual Effects. So this award was presented by Joan Fontaine, and Star Wars took home this for a win. So this was given to John Steers, John Dykstra, Richard Edlin, Grant McCune, and Robert Blalack. So this was just a, a very good vibe of a group they all went up there they did a group hug hug together they all each kind of gave their own little speech somebody's got yeah. to say something, say something? Yeah. well ladies and gentlemen this is a, a fantastic feeling to be up here with with these guys fantastic guys a wonderful american crew and please don't forget the the british guys that work with me just to make it possible to be here and thank you gary and george fantastic thank you all around just a very good vibe going on from these guys you know that kind of speaks to that sort of free spirit of ILM. Again, you have to think about just how these sort of young, hip people are just being really experimental with Star Wars. They're trying all these different things out. The Dykstra Flex, I mean, that alone, when you look at the visual effects of Star Wars, this is a camera that added on all these different composite images to make a perfectly smooth image of a, of a traveling ship. You know, compared to older movies like Star Trek where you'd have you know one piece of a of a ship kind of moving around on its own and it kind of looked very corny this was actually compositing so many different shots you know flyby images of of a ship and it just made it look real it's when you watch the trench running you see kind of the the tilting of the X-wings and the tie fighters as you get those really dynamic shots that pretty much any movie had never seen before and this was obvious winner for visual effects. I mean, they, they really broke ground with that Dykstra Flex camera. It was incredible at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, you just think of the world that they ultimately created together 
one that is a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away and feels so authentic and so lived in and so believable as something that is in outer space and thrilling and exciting. And we're still using Dykstra's methods today on The Mandalorian. The Razor Crest, you know, it's they use the same methods that they did back when. So, you know, sometimes you just go back to the basics of what worked and it gets the job done. And the fact that they they started it way back when here at the yeah. at the very first film and it's still used today speaks volumes. So it's very exciting. Dykstra gets uh, an 11 out of 10 <laughs> star. I, I we know we're not doing. I know this is a little bit impromptu. I know we're not doing a Golden Gorg for VFX, but can we can we give an honorary Golden Gorg to John Dragsta oh, today? Absolutely. Right here and right now, first mm-hmm. special Gorg Award goes to John Dykstra. <laughs> applause, listeners. Applaud. This is your moment to applaud. Yes. Hold, please hold for applause. <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on to the next category. We have the best art direction and set decoration. This was presented by um, Greer Garson and Harry Winkler, and it went to, for art direction, John Barry, Norman Reynolds, and Leslie Dilley, and for sec decoration, it went to Roger Christian. Uh, We're very pleased to accept this beautiful award on behalf of all our friends and patriots who worked so hard to make the sets of Star Wars a success, and there's one man whose name should be engraved on this above everybody else, and whose name should be on every frame of Star Wars, and that's George Lucas. Thank you, George. This is another obvious award, if you ask me. The art direction of, of Star Wars, I mean, you have so many incredible set pieces. The Death Star, the Tantive Four, the Homestead, right? It's this universe mm-hmm. that feels lived in and very familiar to us because it uses bits of our own world to create these sets. You know, it's not something that feels so unordinary. It's almost... Um, like we said in our THX episode, it's it's an artifact from the past. It's things that should have already existed and have mm-hmm. this very used look to them. And the reason we're able to watch it and feel a sort of relation to it versus something like a Star Trek, which can kind of look very cleaned up, very high tech. This feels like something that, yeah, this this could exist in our own world a long time ago. And I think that that's the the art direction and 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 the production design of star wars is is so important to its success and why people felt that connection you know beyond just the the kind of shared mythology that you know we all collectively enjoyed together and i want to move into the next category which is related to art direction and set decoration and it is costume design oh my god amazing this the way this award is presented back then why don't we do this we should do this, is my opinion. Tell Basically, us about it. yes. Okay. Let me get into it. This award was presented by Natalie Wood and it was received by John Molo. But before that all happened, every nominee was announced and then models came out and were wearing the designs from the movie to <laughs> showcase in real life the designs, how they move, and how they look on a stage. John Mallow for Star Wars. Susan George wears his intergalactic concepts. And Kermit Eller wears the Darth Vader costume. And it was amazing to see all of these designs together. So, for Star Wars, of course we had to have the iconic 
looks from the film. We have Stormtroopers, we have Vader, we have Tusken Raiders, and then we have Princess Leia's iconic A&H original gown. So Susan George was wearing Leia's costume, and then Kermit Eller was was in Darth Vader's costume. And it turns out that we learned that he was the go-to person to be in the Vader costume for when the costumes uh, needed wearing on tour, uh, at special events. events. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the 70s and 80s. That's pretty cool. When you watch this, how floored were you to see this all this whole production happen? Well, you have to think about a lot of the other competition that they're going up against in the the costume category, right? So you got Airport 77, you got Julia, you got A Little Night Music, The Other Side of Midnight. These are all films that either have like very old looks to them, very contemporary looks to them. And then you just on stage against all of these old kind of period piece costumes, you got like a stormtrooper. Like, what the heck? Why is that there? This looks very odd. If it weren't already obvious, it made it look even more obvious just how silly Star Wars is. You know, like, it's just like oh, yeah. ridiculous. Like, it just yeah. looks so bizarre stacked up against all those other nominees. But I, overall, I love the way they were presented. I love how we got a little bit of a. Uh, they would all come down the stairs and do a little bit of a runway move where they go to the front of the stage and then like, you know, kind of model a little bit and then turn back around. And I love that. I know obviously we don't have time for that in the current award shows, but dang, I, I do. I do appreciate the, the creativity there. And uh, dang, I wish we could do that one year, maybe. As you see, uh, the costumes from Star Wars are really not so much costumes as bit of plumbing and uh, general automobile engineering. Anyway, my thanks to uh, George and Gary and particularly to the wardrobe department, especially Ron Beck, and to all of you for giving me this very happy tribute. Thank you very much. I do think we should do this in the present because think about it. I'm looking at 2019 right now. Who was nominated for costume design in 2019? Black Panther, think of the Dora Milaje, on stage, right? Oh. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the favorite, the period costumes oh. of the favorite, the colorful costumes of Mary Poppins Returns, and more period costumes with Mary Queen of Scots. Imagine how they would all look together on a stage. I think we should do this in contemporary times because there are so many amazing designers working today and working to create new worlds, to create period pieces, to create these kind of crossover looks like in The Favorite. I'm, I'm in full support of that and we should definitely bring it back. So that's just my personal ask to the Academy, who I know is all listening to this episode. We have many Academy listeners. Do it. Do it. Yeah. And you don't even have to make it as long of a thing as it was at this ceremony. Just do a quick... Walk out on stage, spotlight, boom, next next nominee. It could work. Mm -hmm. It could work if mm -hmm. they really tried and stopped spending time on really cheesy bits that no one cares about. That's my two all cents. The all the songs? Yeah, we don't so need the songs. the songs. Although this year, I think they're doing the songs before the show. They which are. Which I'm mm -hmm. a fan of because, honestly, I don't need to listen to a song live. I just don't. So that's well, my, I mean, that's my I hot like take. I we can do a montage. I don't need to listen to all of all five songs live. Right. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, fun, of time. But it should just be a montage. Yeah, anyway. it's like 25 minutes, you know? It's crazy. Anyway, speaking of songs and speaking of music, Sarah, let's move into our next category. We're here to give the Oscar for the outstanding original score. Obviously, it was not one of the silent picture awards in 1928. 
As a matter of fact, it didn't come along until 1934. John Williams said, hey, I'm going to be nominated twice this year. I'm going to have two Academy Award nominations this year. So John Williams got nominated for Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Obviously, the king won for Star Wars. <laughs> very, very epic. And I love John Williams. He gave the, the nicest, most concise speech. He's a man of little words, but the words that he does speak, speak volumes. Thank you very much, George Lucas and Gary Kurtz, for the opportunity of composing a score for your marvelous film. And to Lionel Newman, Herb Spencer, and the London Symphony Orchestra for a splendid performance, and I think a great recording by Eric Tomlinson. And for myself, ladies and gentlemen, my warmest thanks for this uh, very treasured award and marvelous moment. Thank you. And funny enough, leading up to the ceremony, there was this very infamous column from the Milwaukee Sentinel from column, columnist Lawrence Johnson. This guy's insane. He is really insane. He <laughs> has the hottest of takes. It's, so, it's such a hot take. I, the, oof, oof. We, have to, we have to look at it. But Sarah, tell us what Mr. Lawrence Johnson, uh, Larry, had to say about John Williams's music, especially the Star Wars music and how it, how it compares to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Well, first of all, he essentially says that John Williams does, for, in some ways, little original work because he's pulling from every other well-known, <laughs> you know, I, well-known composer, Wagner. Um, Debussy, Strauss, everybody, Stravinsky, everybody under the sun, okay? So that's, that's the context we're going into. But then he says, quote, despite its store of appealing melody, after the nutritive title theme, which sustained university marching bands all over the country last football season, <laughs> Star Wars boasts slight musical originality. Williams' Star Wars music never betrays a lapse in skill in orchestral writing, and he interweaves his calling card character motifs with often arresting imagination. But then he goes on to say, well, I mean, that's, that's positive. Then he goes on to say, is... after a 50 or 60 minutes, however, and certainly by the end of several hours spent with this music removed from its visual context, thematic repetition has worn good ideas thin. Oh my God, Lawrence. I was like... Lawrence, wow! Lawrence must have been the clown of the office after, after this Oscars. I bet you Lawrence really stuck to his opinion and was like, you know what, Close Encounters was the better score, and I'm and I stick to it. And he probably, I don't know if this man is alive, <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but he probably to this day or to his dying day, I'm again, I don't know this man was like <laughs> Close Encounters is superior. <laughs> I would imagine he really stuck to his opinion because if he's a music critic, he's going to stick to it. And um, But yeah, he can put on that clown nose. He can honk it a couple of times because what score has stuck in the zeitgeist harder? It's going to be Star Wars. No slight to the Close Encounters score, which is also amazing and incredible yeah, yeah. and iconic I mean, it's John in its Williams, own right. Yeah, Anything written by John Williams is just going to be amazing, which John Williams wrote the theme for the Academy Awards, also worth noting. Just casual. Just too, totally casual. Just it's casual. Fine. No, but I, think, but I think for a score, like, you know, Close Encounters is doing something a little bit different than Star Wars is. But to, the, the idea that, like, thematic repetition wears good ideas thin is just insane to me because thematic repetition 
the calling card for for character motifs is what makes you feel. And there's a lot of like emotional manipulation in music, right? The way you play your strings makes you feel a certain way versus the way that you play the timpani or the bass drum or these sort of things. You get a different feeling from them. And music really has a way to affect feeling. And these thematic repetitions allow the the audience to latch onto these characters and their struggle and to recognize when they're in an important moment and to recognize um, the emotional weight of the situation. And so I think thematic repetition and obviously John Williams really brought that to the fore um, in scores today. You know, I, I think it really has value when we think of memorable film scores. Yeah, I mean, you look at Star Wars, if you just play the music of Star Wars and you take out all of the dialogue, you understand the story completely. Like you said, you get those character motifs, you get those those plot moments, those inflection points, and mm-hmm. Williams tells that story to a T. You can sit down, pull up Spotify, listen to the Star Wars soundtrack, and you can almost visualize the entire film in your head. Williams, he just does it so powerfully, and it's just funny reading, you know, as much as we're making fun of, of Lawrence Johnson, it's funny reading this because when you think about how iconic, can you hum, can you hum the Close Encounters theme song? I can't off the top of my head, but it's only because I've seen it only once. Okay, fair point. But think about how many people can hum Star Wars, right? Think about how you can go on the street and hum Star Wars and somebody knows right away that's Star Wars. I mean, that just speaks to the fact that this score has been everlasting for many generations already. And John Williams is a legend at the Academy Awards. He has 52 Oscar nominations, so he holds the record for the most Oscar nominations for a living person. And he's the second most nominated person in Academy Awards history behind Walt Disney, who has 59. So uh, he has won four Oscars for Best Original Score and one for Best Scoring. That was for Fiddler on the Roof. And worth noting within Star Wars, that he, uh, this was the only year that he won best, best original score for Star Wars. He was nominated for Empire and Return of the Jedi. He didn't receive any nominations for the prequel trilogy, which I think is a travesty completely. The prequels have some of the best music, but he did get nominated once again at the 2016 Academy Awards for The Force Awakens. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I would like to amend my statement. Do, 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 do. That was not in any sort of key, but that is the five note motif from Close Encounters. Do, ah. do, 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 do. And I actually know it, unfortunately uh, for me, from the You Must Use the Force from the John Williams tribute that was all like Star Wars themed. Anyway, if you remember that, um, Star Wars fans from Apprentice <laughs> A. But I also would like to interject and, and say that I had not a single clue. I'm sitting here mouth agape because I had no clue that he won for scoring adaptation for Fiddler on the Roof. Is that Mm. true? Is that true facts? Yes. Best scoring adaptation and original song score for Fiddler on the Roof. Yep. What year? What year is that? Oh, God. That was his first Oscar. That was his first Academy Award win, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. Uh, let me wow. let me look it up here while we're talking. I'm just learning something new right now, and I'm really not over it. Um, oh, yeah. A score adaptation by John Williams. God, you got, I had no yeah. idea. His fir- it was his first Academy Award win. So the first thing he was ever nominated for was Valley of the Dolls in 
1968, and uh, he got nominated for two more Academy Awards. And then in 1972, he won his first Academy Award for Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, Again, that's 1972. He doesn't win another Oscar until 1976 when he wins for Jaws. And then he wins the next year for Star Wars. And then he doesn't win again until he wins for E.T. He later wins in 1994 for Schindler's List. And those are all of the Academy Awards that he has won. So, again, you got Fiddler on the Roof, Jaws, Star Wars, E.T., and Schindler's List. I can't believe I didn't know about Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. Have you, the Fiddler on the Roof movie is kind of amazing. Um, I haven't the, seen the it. Show, I have, have I need to watch it. Have you seen the show ever? No, I, I should probably watch Fiddler on the Roof, oh especially if we, got, if we got Johnny's, Johnny's score. Of course, it's the, like, you know, the original, the musical music, but I, I just had no idea it was adapted by John yeah. Williams for the screen. That, my gosh, I know this is a Star Wars podcast, but now I'm just really excited about Fiddler <laughs> again. Um, well, in the spirit of wow. time, though, I think we, we've said quite a bit on, on John Williams here, but did you have anything else to add for, for John and, and just the, the score and uh, why it was worthy of a win? It's worthy of a win because the Jawas are worthy of a win. And, yeah. and, and that's that on that. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. It, great, I mean, it's scene. truly just, he truly just set out and set up the most iconic soundscape that i can think of and yeah. uh i'm i'm grateful for it because there's such iconic music that resonates me with me and gets to stick in my heart and i appreciate that so sarah let's move on to the final win for star wars at the 1978 oscars so the final win of the night for the team behind Star Wars was Best Film Editing. This award was presented by Farrah Fawcett and Marcello Mastroianni. It was awarded to Paul Hirsch, Marsha Lucas, and Richard Chu. This is a great honor, especially in light of the excellence of the competition this year. On a personal note, I'd like to thank Brian De Palma for believing me and believing in me for so many years. And I'd like to express my admiration for my colleagues, Marsha and Richard, we're not only great editors, they're great people. We had a wonderful, hardworking staff, Todd Buckelhide, Jay Miracle, Mike Kitchens, and Pam Maloof. We had an inspired sound editor in Ben Burt, one of the most knowledgeable producers in the business in Gary Kurtz. And last but most significantly, we had a director who, apart from his many other obvious talents, is himself a fine editor, George Lucas. Thank you, George. Thank you. And I mean, I'm going to let you take the discussion on this one because you have lots of thoughts on the editing of this movie. Well, yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier, you know, how, how pivotal um, Marsha Lucas was, especially for the, the trench run. Um, again, she, she is not in the conversation enough. Uh, Paul Hirsch. Paul Hirsch, actually, if you're interested in learning more about the editing process, he just wrote a book recently called A Long Time Ago in a Cutting Room Far, Far Away my 50 years of editing Hollywood hits. So that's a really great book. I actually own it. I haven't had the chance to read it yet, but, um, and then Richard Chu, I don't know much about, but again, you know, these three here, I think the, the film editing is one of the other, other Academy Award wins this year that really stand out because again, the, the film editing, I think that trench run sequence alone is worth the Oscar, right? Cause you have the intercutting of so many spaceships mixed with the visual effects of these ships that are flying to create a sequence that is very reminiscent again of you know like old world war ii bombers you know that was a lot of the uh, of the footage that inspired lucas to shoot the uh trench run in the way that he did 
and just the you feel the stakes you know when you watch that i still watch the trench run and i get i like my i have like heart palpitations watching it i swear to god like it is <laughs> it is so intense so speaking more on marcia lucas so there's this book called the secret history of star wars it's written by michael kaminsky and this is the book that actually talks about how she reworked that entire scene so um originally the scene had luke attempt two hits at the exhaust port two hits so one didn't work. The second one lands, blows up the Death Star. So she gave that scene a, b- a bigger sense of urgency and, and tension. And in, tw- in a 2017 interview, she doesn't give many interviews, but, but in this interview, she says, quote, if the audience doesn't react when Han Solo flies the Millennium Falcon, this movie's not going to work. Mm. End quote. So would you agree that if that trench run scene doesn't work, the rest of the film kind of falls apart? Because if you don't wrap up the film properly and you don't make the entire journey there feel worth it and feel like it was it was uh, worth the investment of time and emotional energy and you don't feel like you care about the, the victory over Yavin, it, it, the rest of the film doesn't really matter because what are the stakes? Why, why does any of this make a difference, right? Do, do you agree with that, that this editing the sequence is, is, is critical for the film's film success? A hundred percent. It really feels like if the if the stakes in the in the most important moment don't work then then she's right the movie doesn't work because then you don't root for the characters to have that moment where they're winning where they're overcoming and if they have that moment do you care do you cheer are you celebrating just as much as they are you really have to be invested in order for it to land with a viewer you have to n- understand the character's stakes and want them to succeed in what they're dealing with so i definitely agree yeah so again those are all the oscars that star wars won so we have the one special achievement award for ben burt and then the six competitive oscars one more time were best sound visual effects art direction and set decoration costume design original score and film editing so when we look at the ones that they didn't take home that year you have best picture which Star Wars lost to Annie Hall, which I, I still think is a travesty that Star Wars lost Best Picture. Again, just thinking about it in the sense of what it did for film, uh, it, it just it, it really boggles my mind. Uh, you That's have the best... way with a lot of movies and, and the yeah. Oscars. They're just, they're just so off base when it comes to what sticks with people. And it's, yeah. it's funny to watch in the retrospective. You're like, they should do retrospective Oscars. <laughs> You have Best Director for George Lucas, you have Best Supporting Actor for Alec Guinness, and you have Best Original Screenplay for George Lucas again. So those are the four Oscar awards they did not win that year. But Sarah, are there any that stick out to you before we move on past the 1978 Oscars that you think, uh, maybe this was a mistake or you know what, maybe not too deserving, but glad they got the nomination nonetheless. Like, What are your thoughts on these four? It's interesting because it's really clear they won a lot of technical awards, but didn't quite hit with the the big handful of awards. And it, it makes me wonder if that stigma of like the blockbuster existed at this point to some degree. You know, because when you see like a superhero movie winning, it's winning for VFX or sound or costume design and not necessarily for its writing or directing. So some of that might be in play here. I think the one that it most notably misses out on is Best Picture. Because while Annie Hall is a film that's still discussed or, or mentioned in film classes at times, 
Uh, its filmmaker is not somebody we're a fan of, and it's unfortunate that that person and that film got the award when they're really not the greatest of people. Yeah, it really um, tarnishes it in retrospect, for sure. Makes it even hurt, hurts even worse. <laughs> yeah, and of these five pictures that were nominated that year, Star Wars is clearly the one that has stuck around the longest. So it, that seems like the, the big the big loser that should have been the big winner. Um, but otherwise, I can understand why some of these other ones didn't quite get it. Although, obviously, as a Star Wars fan, I would advocate for them. Yeah. And we, we talked at such great length about this this night, the 1978 Academy Awards, because this is really the peak for Star Wars Oscars. This is the most Oscars that they've that the the franchise has won in a single year. And again, thinking culturally about what Star Wars is doing, it's sweeping the globe. Everybody's talking about it. You have this up and coming filmmaker, this up and coming visual effects studio. It's kind of just, it's incredible watching it, watching some of this old footage, watching some of these old speeches, watching the excitement on their faces as they go up on stage and accept their Academy Awards, to think that, yes, the silly idea about space wizards and hairy Wookiees and a princess in distress and a scoundrel in a farm boy, like, somehow is the talk of the town, you know? They take home the most wins of any film, and it's just incredible. It really, really is awesome. I have to say that I firmly agree. So even though 1978 was the highlight for Star Wars, it starts to fizzle out after that. So when we look at The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, The Empire Strikes Back marks the last Oscar win for the Star Wars franchise. So it's worth noting that Star Wars once again took the Special Achievement Award for visual effects. In the production of every film, there is a group of technicians whose sole job it is to bring to realization the writer's fancy, the director's vision, and the producer's dream. Hundreds of skilled technicians and artists contributed thousands of painstaking hours to bring the magic of The Empire Strikes Back to the screen. This year, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has chosen to honor the special effects staff of George Lucas's The Empire Strikes Back for their outstanding work. Because of the size of the concept and the quality of the execution, the Academy Board of Governors has deemed this film to be representative of the highest quality of motion picture special effects. And it was also nominated for three competitive Oscars. So it was nominated for Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Set Decoration again, and Best Music by John Williams, as we mentioned. And he will get nominated again for Return of the Jedi. So after they get that achievement award, out comes Billy D. Williams, fresh off of The Empire Strikes Back. We knew him. In a bow tie. In a bow tie with the best glasses. He's looking slick as hell. I love him so much. Worth noting, he also presented an, uh, a scientific and technical award for the Steadicam at the 1978 Oscars, which is funny. Another Star Wars connection. Little did he know he'd be out here presenting the award for best sound. The contribution of the sound engineer has never been fully appreciated. Yeah, especially before the advent of talking pictures. But if you really want to know how much they add to the production of a film, next time you go to a movie house, put your hands over your ears and just watch the picture. Now, take your hands away from your ears and put them over your eyes. 
and lo behold, Star Wars wins best sound thanks to the efforts of Bill Varney, Steve Maslow, Greg Landecker, and Peter Stutton. Thank you, Thank you <laughs> It takes the creative talents of a lot of people to create a soundtrack of the likes of The Empire Strikes Back. So Steve and Greg and Peter and I must share these awards tonight with a, a long list of people, which we will have to skip a few, of course. Particularly, producers George Lucas and uh, Gary Kurtz, Irving Kirshner, the fabulous Ben Burt, who creates the terrific sound of the Empire. Fast forward to the 1984 Academy Awards. First time Star Wars doesn't win any Oscars, but once again, it takes home the Special Achievement Award in visual effects. But the other Academy Awards that it was nominated for, there were four total. It was Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Best Sound, Best Effects, and Best Music. So that really rounds out the original trilogy era for Star Wars. So in total, you know, you have seven competitive wins, three Special Achievement Awards. Why do you think this happened? Why do you think there was such a decline for Star Wars at the Academy Awards. And this is a trend that we've seen with The Phantom Menace, with The Force Awakens. It seems that the first film in a trilogy really starts out strong with Academy recognition and then fizzles out. Do you think it's a matter of it's the first after, you know, a very long time, you know, there's a wait between each of the trilogies, a lot of hype is 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 built up. And also, too, each of the first movies of these trilogies kind of advanced technology in a way for you know advances Mm -hmm. it forward so it kind of makes sense that they're going to pick up a lot a lot of nominations but what do you think i think you hit all the answers there i think that there's a particular novelty to especially the original movie but the first in a trilogy after a long period of hiatus i think also that you know there's a lot you can do to introduce something but you know if if you've seen the same sort of art direction sect decoration in the three films, because it's the same universe, you might be less inclined to um, award it on the second and third time that you see it. So I think that's where it kind of comes in. It's a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of uh, just understanding that there are also other novel achievements happening around the same time. Mm-hmm. So fast forward from Return of the Jedi and the end of the original trilogy period, we head into the prequels in the 2000, 2003, and 2006 awards. In 2000, Phantom Menace was nominated for Best Sound, Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing, and Best Effects Visual Effects. Didn't win any of them. And then for Attack of the Clones, they were nominated for Best Visual Effects. And then for Revenge of the Sith, they were nominated for Best Achievement in Makeup. So there was a decline there, a bit different categories, but they weren't taking any home any stat. But they weren't taking home any statues in the early 2000s, which is understandable in some degrees. While there was a ton of technological achievement between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, we look at you know VFX specifically, these films weren't as critically acclaimed as the original Star Wars was. And, and would you agree that that could be a reason why they didn't take, take home these trophies? Yeah, I think that's part of it because the prequels didn't get the best reception. Mm. But although you also have to consider, too, what's happening at this time, you have the release of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Iconic. And it's worth noting when you look at Lord of the Rings, it is the most awarded film series in movie history. The Lord of the Rings has received 475 awards out of 800 nominations. So in 2003 at the Academy Awards... 
two towers takes home visual effects. So it's not that the visual effects for the Attack of the Clones are bad. It's going up against that and Spider-Man, which coincidentally, John Dykstra working on Spider-Man, <laughs> which is, oh, is really wow. funny. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, it's a really tough competition. You know, at this time, you got a lot. You kind of have the beginning of the superhero genre uh, really hitting its stride with Spider-Man, you know, a couple of years before Iron Man. You have the Lord of the Rings that's out. It's just like sweeping everything in its path. I mean, it also won sound editing as well. Mm. It, it, and it's, it's incredible what's being done. So, you know, it's kind of a, of a of, I think it's a combination, like you said, of reception and bad timing for the, just the competitive field overall. Sure, sure. Do we want to head into these 2010s with the sequel yeah. trilogy now? Yeah, let's close right. it out with the sequel trilogy. Looking at the sequel trilogy, in 2016, The Force Awakens was nominated for film editing for original score, sound mixing, sound editing, here's what I said about the two different categories, and VFX. It took home none of these awards. The Last Jedi was nominated for VFX, original score, sound editing, and sound mixing. Again, it took home none of those awards. And then The Rise of Skywalker was nominated for best score, best VFX, and best sound editing. And it again took home None of these awards. Why it's tough. do you think that happened, Brad? It's <laughs> tough. You know, I think, you know, um, I, I, I think it's because the competition, again, is just, is just even thicker nowadays. I think even visual effects and sound mixing and sound editing on even some of the most basic films, it's not necessarily something that stands out in Star Wars in particular anymore like it did at that mm. time back in the 70s. So, like, let's, for instance, take the 2019 Academy Awards. We've neglected to mention Solo and Rogue One. We've just kind of stuck to the episodic films for the purpose of this episode. But let's look at that year, right? So, Solo, A Star Wars Story was nominated for visual effects. The winner of that category was First Man, which is a Damien Chazelle movie, which you would think, you know, ILM versus first man i think this was a little bit of an upset to be honest because you also have ready player one and avengers infinity ward in that category so it is pretty congested there but the fact that first man can pull off that win over a star wars film over a marvel film is pretty incredible so i think that alone shows how competitive those categories have gotten so i just don't think star wars even though ilm is making huge leaps and bounds especially with something like the volume that's a mm-hmm. huge, huge technological innovation that's going to change the, the film industry as a whole when it comes to Academy Awards season. I just don't think there is enough necessarily to have it stand out like it would have in the 70s or the 80s, you know? I think that's, sure. that's the driving reason. Yeah, and I think we're getting a lot of, for lack of a better word, diverse films that are giving us a lot of different soundscapes and visual landscapes. Because in 2016, Mad Max Fury Road both won yeah. both mixing and editing. And that's, that style of that film is so unique and so incredible. And so there's a lot going on in this time period. A lot of like the superhero movies, the big movies are being nominated here. But also the niche movies like First Man that are giving you a really specific look into the way that this event is being portrayed. And... um achievements in sound are just amazing and incredible and so it is really interesting to see that you know they didn't win any awards but it is 
valuable that they've gotten nominated for every single one of the films, including Solo and Rogue One, mm-hmm. despite us not, you know, going into detail about those two films here. Yeah. I mean, looking at to 2018, that was the year Last Jedi for visual effects. I mean, Blade Runner 2049 won that year, <laughs> right? Oh, that yeah, that okay. film deserved yeah. it a hell of a lot. But you also have Ooh. Guardians 2, you have Kong Skull Island, you have War for the Planet of the Apes. So again, there's just so oh many. Oh my God. So like that, that category alone that year is stacked. You know, it's, we can it's such a ahead. shame that Last Jedi couldn't have taken it home, but damn, it had some really tough competition. We can go ahead and do a whole episode about how the, the Apes trilogy didn't ever win any Academy Awards, and it should have because it's a work it's amazing. of pure art, but yeah. that's a whole nother podcast and a whole other episode. <laughs> but uh, I think that takes us, you know, to the end of, of looking at, at, at these films through the years of the Oscars. So do you have any final thoughts about oscar history and and star wars at the oscars and how it you know presented itself over the decades yeah you know i think my my biggest question is are we going to ever have another 1978 again is star wars ever going to again you know ultimately these awards shows don't matter if star wars doesn't take home an oscar win that's totally okay getting nominated alone is a huge accomplishment that's a huge accomplishment so it's great to say hey the rise of skywalker was nominated for three academy awards hey the last jedi for four the force awakens for five those are all great things to say but there is again some fun it's like cheering on a sports team you know when you watch the academy awards and you see star wars is in the mix you want to root them on like it's a it's a varsity football team or you know you want to like root them on and hope they win right Mm -hmm. so i just wonder if we're ever going to have a year like that again and i i don't think we will and i just think that speaks to the the evolution of the film industry and mm. i just wonder what it will take for star wars to stand so uniquely on its own two feet that it's thrown into the mix and i think one of the best examples in recent years is black panther being nominated for best picture mm. there is a long stigma i think of blockbuster movies and if they are recognized at academy awards and there's this conversation of what is art and what is not art you know it's something that martin scorsese has talked a lot about you know he's talked a lot about how mcu films are not art i would disagree with that i think mcus aren't just simply this like you know consumerist thing that we watch at the movie theater and like don't think critically about i think mcu a lot of the mcu films are definitely like that but i think there are ones that are breaking boundaries i think the Black Panther movie is a great example of that, and it deserved the Best Picture win. I was really hoping it was going to, to do that. Look at a movie like Dark Knight. That didn't get an Academy Award nomination whatsoever for Best Picture. Obviously, Heath Ledger won you know, his posthumous Best Actor, which was a, a huge deal. I just think there is such a stigma against, you know, again, the big blockbuster and what's considered art and what's not. And I think I'm just wondering when we're going to get to the point when Star Wars can be considered some sort of high art form that's recognized at the Oscars. And I know they tried to introduce the best, they they tried to introduce the best popular film at the Oscars as a category. Did you want to speak a little to that? And again, just of, of what I'm talking about. And if you agree with sort of, you know, is it going to take leaps and bounds to to break past this obstacle or is it just going to kind of be like this forever? I mean, does Black Panther inspire any sort of hope? I think Black Panther does inspire hope. And I think the Academy is working uh, too slowly, but working nonetheless to make sure that their membership is younger and more diverse. Um, they, they 
inducted a ton of new members in the past couple of years that are much more representative of different backgrounds and ages than the typical old white man that you think of an Oscar voter to be. But this popular Oscar kind of experiment was really interesting because it happened after, right? It happened after Black Panther. Mm hmm was nominated and people were like oh so that's so you can put it out of the best picture category right and put it into its own you know this is our prestigious art category and this is our money art category Mm -hmm. or money film category you know and it just was i think rightfully so completely lambasted and completely (laughs) dunked on because yeah they created this thing in the attempts that it would bring more people in because their ratings were low But what it ultimately did for the industry is segment this art from each other and say, okay, well, you're not worthy of a best picture Oscar because you aren't art enough. But the the I I think we're getting towards a time potentially when we can see these kinds of films, you know, Parasite and Avengers Endgame kind of on the same playing field yes they are completely different types of movies telling completely different stories but they are still both films and they are still both stories and i think with the change back to i believe 10 nominees a fixed number of nominees uh, in the future that will open the door for more films to be nominated because if you think of last year and knives out knives out was probably the next film that was the first one out yeah. just off the list and there was there were nine films nominated there could have been 10 and knives out was the kind of blockbuster everybody loves it film that many people including myself say should have been in that race over the 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 film the driving movie what was it called oh my gosh um starring matthew mcconaughey oh and ford versus ferrari Ford versus Ferrari, yeah. which was the dad movie. And that's why I got there because like the the middle-aged dad and, and many other people, but like that movie was for an audience that the Oscar voter also was. Mm-hmm. It was a great and movie, I, but yeah, you're right. It, it's, it, it was specifically targeting a certain voter. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Knives Out was a better film, but that's, yeah. that's just me. I'm looking forward to 10 nominees. Yeah, because as it stands now, it's five to 10, depending on the votes that come in from voters. And so it could be any range of that. threshold. Yeah, which we won't discuss because yeah. it's very complicated and very confusing. So stupidly complicated. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we can reach a point eventually. And again, going back to Lord of the Rings, I mean, going back to 2004, that was yeah. a huge year. I mean, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, I think, was the... Uh, was the, like another repeat of 1978 where you had this big pop culture phenomenon that was just stealing every Oscar. And I, I shouldn't say stealing. They were taking them home because they earned it. You know, took home Best yeah. Picture for Return of the King up against Seabiscuit and Lost in Translation and Master and Commander and Mystic River. Like those are big oh films gosh, that Master year. Master and Commander. So I think even Return of the King gives me hope that, you know, that's always my bragging detail for return of the king and saying hey lord of the rings is great because it won best picture and like i say that with my <laughs> chest puffed out because i'm i'm so happy about it so maybe one day we'll reach the point where star wars we can say hey star wars directed by patty jenkins won best picture or star wars from taika watiti won best picture like that would just be really awesome to see and i think as a as a fan community that would be really exciting to celebrate and just like rally around mm-hmm. and uh, it, again it gives legitimacy to some of these these people working on the film 
And, uh, you know, it's not necessary, but again, it's like rooting for your football team. You want to see them win when they can. So. Absolutely. Now, I kind of want to hop for just a second over to specifically the sequel trilogy, but we have one that's not. Notable Star Wars actors presenting awards in the Oscars, aka the reason, yes, I love the Oscars, but like the reason I turn on the TV and actually watch the whole show. (laughs) So in 2016, J.J. Abrams presented the award for Best Director. This one's my favorite. In 2018, BB-8, Mark Hamill, Oscar Isaac, and Kelly Marie Tran presented the award for Best Animated Short Film. Again, I love the shorts. And Best Animated Feature Film. And then in 2020, she wasn't presenting an award, but she was presenting a presenter because there was no host. We got more Kelly Marie Tran introducing Diane Keaton and Keanu Reeves. What do you feel about Star Wars actors at the Academy Awards presenting awards, just being there to be there, and existing in this space? I love it. I mean, watching Kelly Marie Tran lip sync Lose Yourself by Eminem was a, yes. hi- was a highlight of 2020. Yes. And again, Star Wars fans go feral when the stars of Star Wars show up on the red carpet, all decked out. I mean, Kelly's outfit last year was stunning. Adam Driver looked great. Scaparelli. She was wearing Scaparelli, just in case yeah. you guys were wondering. Ryan Johnson looked great. It just I I love seeing them show up, get recognized. I think we're going to see I mean, he's in a lot of films this year, so I'm sure we're going to see him nominated uh, upcoming in the 2022 Oscars for for basically anything that he's in. Basically anything, considering it's going to be like three major projects. It's going to take him forever to win an Oscar. Trust it's going to be he's going to be like the next Leonardo DiCaprio who just gets nominated every year. You don't think he's going to win for either um, House of Gucci? The Last Duel or this Noah Baumbach film? No, he, he'll win. Working? I think he'll probably win for House of Gucci, for sure. Oh, Although, okay. I don't know. I don't know enough about the field uh, for this year to, to make that determination. Sure. And yeah. like what the yeah. qualifications are. But, you know, again, Riz Ahmed, I really hope he wins. That would be really cool. So, again, it's just a celebratory thing that we can all gather around and enjoy. And I, I love when they show up and they're dressed up and they have droids out on stage. Again, BB-8 in 2018. And you had R2, BB-8, and C-3PO in 2016. It was just a, it's just loaded fun every time. Oh my, it is John Williams. Oh, I always enjoy hearing his music. He is so very talented. For a human, that is. His... 50th Oscar nomination tonight. Oh, my goodness. And he has already won five Oscars for composing. No wonder he has a good seat. More droids at the Oscars is really what we're saying here at Friends of the Forest. Please. But I think we should also mention the 2002 John Williams tribute to original scores, which was conducted and arranged by John Williams and is just a magnificent tribute to iconic film scores of the 20th century. Yeah. Amazing. You should go find that on YouTube. Yeah. It's worth your time. All of these appearances are on YouTube. So if you want to go on there and and watch them, I highly recommend it because it's just good feels all around. I I love it. I love award season for this reason. So Yes. Yeah. Agree. So the final thought here before we head into the Golden Gorgs. Mm Mm-hmm. Brad, are there any awards 
that they did not get nominated for that you will just be forever bitter about because like I for one am bitter that Amy Adams did not get nominated for best leading actress in Arrival 2017. Do you have any do you have any thoughts like that? Um I just want to, you know, I don't have many, but I just want to say I don't understand how John Williams didn't get nominated for a single Academy Award during the prequel trilogy. How do you not nominate John Williams for for a Phantom Menace? For Attack Anakin of the Clones, theme. for Revenge of the Sith, what is going Padme's on? Ruminations. How Battle of Across the Heroes? The stars. How? How? Duel of the Fates. How does that happen? How? That's there really so my only many. thought. I'm just upset about so it. So many. Still upset about that ha- it. That truly has some of the most iconic Star Wars music, and I would have to completely agree with you, specifically for Revenge of the Sith, because the that the sound of that movie is just uh, amazing, unbelievable unbelievable but also like across the stars yeah it it makes zero sense to me well sarah i think that about wraps up our history of star wars at the oscars so you know what time it is i do it's time ladies and gentlemen it is time for the first annual golden gorg awards or shorthand the golden gorgs an iconic piece to any awards show is the fashion. The fashion. So we cannot, I know we are an audio podcast and you cannot see us right now. Yes, I am in an old hoodie, but that's not who I'm wearing this fine evening. No. That's not what I'm wearing to present Gor- the Golden Gorgs to you this evening or day or morning, whenever you're listening. This, this day, I am wearing that one extra in the candle bite sequence who has the <laughs> necklace that is like beads. It's they're black. She's got a white dress and it's black up on the chest. It's got an open back and she has a fan. I am she. She is me. And I am looking amazing this fine day. Oh, man. What are you? Who are you wearing, Brad? You, you really thought about it. You know, I'm going just with a classic look. I got a nice rebel pilot suit orange suit on but it's Ooh. not just the rebel pilot flight suit it is a suit suit we have oh. we have taken with the help of our alderanian tailors who luckily escaped before the destruction <laughs> of their planet they have helped me tailor the formerly used x-wing pilot flight suit and they've made it into a suit a full suit mm. uh we have the whole pack on the front utility mm-hmm. belt uh instead oh. of a bow tie we got the little chin strap that you normally have on the x-wing pilot but it's in the in the shape of a bow tie so you got the whole look. oh wow and not only that i got exhaust port cufflinks just to say to all of the imperials who show up at the golden gorg awards remember remember what we can do yeah that's right. Wow. Rebellions are built on hope. Get out. Anyways. Wow. That's what I'm this wearing is a, tonight. This is a look. I am amazed. I wish you could all see I'm, it. It's amazing. Wow. It's the best thing yeah. I've ever developed with the help of, again, Alderanian tailors. So they're great. Mm, they're, they're the best in the galaxy. Absolutely. Sarah, why don't you break down how we're, we're working this award show, how we're going to do it? Absolutely. You know, we do not have the time for 24 awards or 23 awards, but we have time for seven. The big (laughs) six plus one, which makes our big seven this fine evening. So we are going to start 
with best score, of course, and we're going to work our way up to best picture. We're each going to give our five nominations for each category, and then we're going to duke it out to see who gets to take home the Golden Gorg. Mm -hmm. So we're going to each read our lists, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to pick a winner. Nothing better than friendly debate on a Star Wars podcast. Yeah. And then if we don't come to a conclusion, we can pick two winners because it's, it's, um, it's all made up and the points don't matter. So <laughs> without further ado, Brad, would you like to share your nominations for best original score? You know, I just want to preface that we really tried. There's a lot of, of choices when it comes to Star Wars. We are going only mm. off the film. So no TV, nothing of that. It's just the episodic films and the two standalones. Okay. So yeah, if this was if this was a TV show, we would call it something else. But we're not the we're not the Emmys. Yeah, we are the Golden we are Gorgs. The Grammys. We are we're doing it Gorgs. like nobody else. Okay, here we go. So my mm-hmm. nominations for best score: John Powell for Solo: A Star Wars Story, John Williams for Attack of the Clones, John Williams for Revenge of the Sith, for The Empire Strikes Back, and The Force Awakens. Okay, Sarah, who do you got for your five? Excellent nominations. I've got John Williams: A New Hope. John Williams: Attack of the Clones. John Williams, Revenge of the Sith, John Williams, The Force Awakens, and John Williams, The Last Jedi. Who do you think should be the winner? Okay. John Williams or somebody else? (laughs) You know, I just have to say, uh, John Powell definitely deserves a nomination. I don't think he's a winner in this category, just because, again, you got John Mm. Williams. It's pretty, it's a pretty, he's the maestro, right? You gotta, you gotta give him the award, right? If we're ranking men named John. Yeah. Sorry, John Powell. (laughs) Okay, so... This might be a spiteful choice Mm. uh, because we know that he was nominated, John Williams, for The Empire Strikes Back for The Force Awakens. But as we just mentioned, he was not nominated Mm -hmm. for any of the prequels. So my headcanon at the Golden Gorg Awards is I want to put my vote in for John Williams for Revenge of the Sith because you have Padme's ruminations, you have Anakin's dark deeds, you have General Grievous arrives, you have Battle of the Heroes. You mm-hmm. got all of the goods, all of the goods. And, and that, that end credits suite where you get the Imperial March, you get the mm-hmm. binary sunset theme with Aunt Beru and Owen, you get all of it. And thinking back to 2005, John Williams, thinking this is the last Star Wars film ever, put his damn all into it. He put 110% effort into the score. So that is my choice, Sarah. That is my choice. Hopefully we can come to a consensus. Well, we really don't have to fight about anything, but because I am happy to award the maestro John Williams oh. for his score on Revenge of the Sith today for all of the reasons you just listed, especially General Grievous oh. and Pad Bay's Ruminations. Oh, okay. That was much easier than I thought. So, folks, yeah. the, go- the first Golden Gorg of the night goes to John Williams for Revenge of the Sith. Congratulations, John Williams. I hope you're listening to this podcast. It means a lot. Um, I just want to thank the Academy. I want to thank the the Friends of the Force. Um, that would be me and you, uh, the Friends of the Force. Uh, thank you all. I want to thank my, uh, I want to thank my, okay, I'm not going to go through the whole speech. So we'll, we'll cut that for, for air time. Okay. So Sarah, we, we, have, we accept, we accept this award on his behalf. Yeah, we'll make sure do. it gets in the mail. <laughs> okay. So I want to know one thing before you introduce your nominees for this next category. So yeah, our next, our next couple categories here are in the realm of supporting and lead actors and actresses. So the, these categories are really tough because when it comes to Academy rules around who is considered a supporting and who is considered a lead, there's not really any methodology 
the, the methodology essentially boils down to the Academy members can vote for both. So we are kind of going off that methodology and we are coming at it from an angle that we are just really going by what we think is the supporting. We have our reasons for that. Doesn't mean if we're, they're in a supporting category, it's any less than. But it's, it's just kind of what we thought based on maybe screen time or, or maybe who the leads are that we think in the film, mm-hmm. those sorts mm-hmm. of things. It was kind of tough coming up and differentiating the two, but I think we did a good job and, and we're fair about it. So I just want to make sure that's best. very clear that we don't think yeah. supporting or any less. There's just as essential. That's why they're supporting. Um, the best supporting actor category is the toughest for me to decide. I think it might be our most competitive category yes. of the lot today. So we went from like an easy category to like our hardest category. And I'm going to go through my nominations, if that's all right with you. Our choices are very different here, folks. So buckle in. All right. <laughs> For Best Supporting Actor, my nominations are, drumroll please, Mark Hamill, The Last Jedi, Oscar Isaac, also The Last Jedi, Ian McDermott, Revenge of the Sith, Ben Mendelsohn, Rogue One, and... Liam Neeson, The Phantom Menace. Okay. General Haas, you are a bold one. Those are some bold choices. Bold choices. Okay. So here are my nominations for Best Supporting Actor. We got Ben Mendelsohn in Rogue One, Harrison Ford in The Force Awakens, Donald Glover in Solo, A Star Wars Story, Peter Cushing in A New Hope, and Riz Ahmed in Rogue One. Okay, so notably, the Mm -hmm. only overlap we have here is Ben Mendelsohn in Rogue One. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do this, but how about you take you it away? Do you think he's going to be the winner? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Are there any nominations that I've made that you could convert yourself to? Um, I think there might be one or two that I could maybe uh, respectfully look at on your end. But what are you, what are you thinking now after seeing my nominations now? How are you feeling? I think you have made incredibly admirable nominations. Uh-oh. I don't disagree with any of them. I think they're all really worthy nominations however Mm -hmm. while we both have ben mendelson to me ben mendelson is not the winner in this category an excellent performance but for me it really goes to ian mcdermott in revenge of the sith Mm. and let me tell you why i feel like his heel turn his super villain turn in revenge of the sith is one of the most iconic cinematic performances in history I tell you, I mean, we get him saying that he is the Senate. Oh, he is executing order 66. That's an order. We see him become very cruel from this kind of very pristine, polished, calculated personality into this true monster, both inside and out. I think his performance makes the movie i think it could have been a make or break thing and it makes the movie it ties the entire saga together specifically at this point the first six films the the, you know the complete saga at that point and really just makes that film what it is and and so i'm I'm, but i I will say i'm open to hearing your opinions if you want to push one of your nominations i would respect it i will hear it Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't disagree with your, with your logic for uh, Mr. Ian, Tony Award-winning Ian McDermott. 
<laughs> yes, uh, yes. Who could soon be a Golden Gorg winner, too. I mean, that's a huge Tony's, honor against the Tony. The Gorgs, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's big stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to make a case for two people. I think we can knock Ben okay. Mendelsohn out. I think we can knock out Harrison Ford. Uh, Donald okay. Glover, uh, I think, is amazing in Solo. He's a great Lando. I hope he returns for the Lando series from Justin Simeon. So, I'm going to say, for your consideration, let's look at Peter Cushing and Riz Ahmed. Okay. Riz Ahmed is really showing his range. He is nominated for lead actor this year, real Oscar time. So, just think, I mean, you know, do you want to say, when you look back at 2021, Riz Ahmed not only took home an Oscar, but he took home a Golden Gorg, most importantly. Ooh. Think about it. Think about it. So, he is close. Forget the EGOT, you know, which is the Emmy the Golden Globe, the Oscar, the Tony. We got the EGOT, which is <laughs> spelled E-G-G-O-T. You got the, the Emmy. You got the Golden Globe. The EGOT. You got the Golden Gorg. Then you got the Oscar and Tony. Say, okay, follow me? Yeah, I'm following you. So Riz Ahmed could be the first ever EGOT winner, although he doesn't have many of the others. I, I, now, actually, you're making a point, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony Award winning Ian McDiarmid is already somewhat there. So, something to think about. He okay, could be an so, got winner. Yeah. Bodhi Rook, arguably the most important character in the entirety of Star Wars, I would say. Because if not for, mm. for Bodhi, if not for Riz Ahmed's powerful performance of a pilot who finds purpose and finds that he can change his life, and Riz's, Riz's uh, performance throughout the movie as somebody who is traumatized from what he's been through and trying to come to terms with where he is going and eventually overcoming that trepidation and that anxiety to go on one of the most daring missions of his life and get that wire connected to the ship to send out a message. I mean, mm-hmm. he really gives a powerful performance when he's sitting up against those crates and he's wondering, when do I go? When do I run for the ship and plug in to send out a message, right? Now let's turn over to Peter Cushing. I mean, mm-hmm. you got Carrie Fisher going up against him. You know, I recognize your foul stench when I was brought on board. I mean, he is great in A New Hope. He mm-hmm. is a perfect villain. Grand Moff Tarkin is excellent for the time. I'm surprised he didn't get any more recognition uh, way back when. So he's just a legendary actor. I mean, he is incredible. He was in Rogue One even. He, that's how good he is. They had to bring him back. So for your consideration, <laughs> I would consider those two. I will consider Ian McDermott, but I'm, I want to hear what you're thinking. You know, after after that weak ass presentation I just made. <laughs> you know, I think I'm a little bit more sold on Peter Cushing than I am on Riz Ahmed. Okay. And and um, no no slight to Riz Ahmed, and I but for me, I think it's that that character is not written out as much as I want him to be. Mm-hmm. I wish he got a little bit more to do. And I think that Riz, uh, Riz's performance is is really well put together and really dynamic and, and thoughtful. But I also wish there was more for him to do in that film. I don't disagree. He's amazing. I'd watch a whole Bodie, yeah. Bodie Brooks series if I could. Give it to us. Yeah. Disney Plus. Okay. But for Peter Cushing, you, I wouldn't have thought of Peter Cushing right off the bat. I really think that you have presented an interesting case here where he is menacing and calculated and very collected. I mean, he wore slippers on set. He <laughs> yes. wore slipper, like, pink slippers. You, you think about the difference between Tarkin and Vader and the Emperor 
and how all these characters play to different sides of villainy. And for me, I think Peter Cushing does the collected man who is in the high tower calling the shots really well. And so I think, you know, Peter Cushing over Riz Ahmed for me in this category here. Okay. So we're down to I, Peter with, Cushing and Ian McDermott. So who, what, are you, what are you inclined? Are you, are you still sticking pretty hard to Ian? I am, but I'm not completely opposed to giving it to Peter Cushing. Okay. For me, Ian McDermott, I mean, that performance just, maybe it's for the meme, but like it just makes my heart sing. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give this one to you. <gasps> wow. Wow, we're going, we're going I don't, Ian McDermott? I don't want to seem like I'm appeasing you. I don't want to give you that satisfaction, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I will award you your, your Ian McDermott Golden Gorg because I, I do think you're right in that his performance is so over the top and chaotic in Revenge of the Sith that mm-hmm. he, he, and the fact that he just acts it out, like capital O-U-T out. He does a great job of that heel turn it's incredible and just shouting unlimited power i mean that line alone is like oscar is 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 golden gorg worthy you know it's just amazing to see where he goes from the beginning of of that film where he's encouraging anakin to do it and and to kill dooku to the end of that film where he is like manic and 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 i am the senate and then that twirl like there's just such there's such chaos power behind him that i think is incredible okay so, okay thank you thank you um the, the winner best supporting actor the golden gorg year 2021 goes to tony winner now golden gorg winner ian mcdermott and we accept this award on behalf of ian mcdermott he's very grateful for the award we will be sending it to him shortly in the name of the galactic senate of the republic you're under arrest chancellor are you threatening me master jedi the Senate will decide your fate. I am the Senate. Not yet. It's treason, then. So our next category, then, is Best Supporting Actress. There are so many incredible women who have been in the Star Wars franchise, but there are also not enough women who have been in the Star Wars franchise. But we are here to support and to award the best supporting actress. And Brad, I would love to hear your nominees this evening. Okay, here they go. So we got mm-hmm. Aaron Kellyman for Solo, Kelly Marie Tran for The Last Jedi, Laura Dern, The Last Jedi, Naomi Ackie, The Rise of Skywalker, and Pernilla August for The Phantom Menace. I think these are excellent nominations. Okay, who you got? My nominations are Pernilla August. The Phantom Menace, Laura Dern, The Last Jedi, Carrie Fisher, The Last Jedi, Genevieve O'Reilly, Rogue One, and Kelly Marie Tran, The Last Jedi. Dang. Slipping in the Genevieve O'Reilly. I know, I know. I think these supporting lists are really some of the best performances in all of the Star War. Yeah. There's so many good ones here, and even ones that we don't have on these lists Mm -hmm. are also great. But, what are, you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking here? You know, I'm really, again, you've mentioned it. They're all great performances. I mean, Naomi Aki, I wish we got more of her. I, I want, oh, I'm still, I still want my Janna book. I still want my Janna TV series. I think she is an excellent character. 
Naomi Aki is one of the greatest additions to the, the franchise, and I, I just hope we do more with her in the future. Um, Pranilla August, Phantom Menace, Shmi Skywalker, uh, excellent. I mean, our overlap here is with, uh, look at Aaron Kellyman and Solo. Infosnest series, when? Question mark? Not, not if, when. When. So our overlap here is with Kelly and Laura. So I'm going and, to pitch and to Pernilla you. August. And, and Pernilla August. So our overlap here is with Kelly, Laura, and Pernilla. Now, I think for the sake of amount of screen time, I'm going to probably drop Pernilla just to try to convince you for either Kelly or Laura. Now... I'm curious as to your thoughts on these two actresses, or if among your nominations you feel differently, there's somebody else outside of Laura or Kelly who you think would be a better choice, or are those the two that you're leaning towards? And if so, let's let's hash it out. Let's see who we want to give the Golden Gorg to. Well, I, I would like to highlight Carrie Fisher's excellent performance mm-hmm. in The Last Jedi. And maybe it's uh, three of my nominations are from The Last Jedi. Maybe I like The Last Jedi. Maybe, maybe. maybe you've heard me talking about it before. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Um, but her performance, I think, is her strongest performance as Leia and her strongest performance as General Leia. And I just think she does incredible, emotional, grounded work in this entry. And I think she was written so well and, and portrayed leia with such a gravity that we haven't gotten to experience with leia before because leia has experienced so much trauma and so much just so much over her life and i think we really see the weight of that in this movie and i'm very appreciative of carrie's performance in this movie so i just want to highlight that yeah but this is not going to be so difficult to convince me of of laura dern or kelly marie tran here i would easily give them (laughs) both this award so fast let's split Kelly marie tran let's cut the gorg in half cut the gorg in half make two gorg cakes (laughs) i wouldn't even be mad about it because for me kelly marie tran is just so electric as rose and she gives us a sense of vulnerability right off the bat that i think makes you empathize with her immediately she gives a power and a determination that i think is so admirable i want to be like Rose, and I want to be like Kelly, Marie before, Kelly Marie's performance in this movie. Additionally, Laura Dern's performance, Admiral Holdo, is such an amazing character. She's unassuming in the sense that y- you look at her and don't think she's in the position that she is. And she comes to give us a different look at power and also to give us one of the most heartfelt scenes with that goodbye between leia and holdo yeah is one of the most powerful scenes in that movie and i remember just seeing it the third time face in my hands ugly crying because it just hit me so hard Mm -hmm. and i just think it's such an excellent use of her talents and her 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 empathetic nature as a performer and and so this is an easy give to either of these women yeah this one's really hard because they they do give the best performances of a of a of an actress supporting performances of an actress in this film you know i think of rose tico's i just want to put my fist through this lousy beautiful town quote Mm, i think mm -hmm. that is 
awesome. Uh, saving what we love, not fighting what we hate. She delivers some iconic lines in this film. You know, I think that is something of a mantra that that la- that latter line right there mm-hmm. is something that's been adopted by the Star Wars fandom at large. And I think it is a beautiful line. I know the haters will make fun of it and say whatever the heck they want to say, but they're wrong. Uh, Rose Tico is an amazing character. One of the best in Star Wars. Uh, you and I are huge fans of a good-hearted engineer. Yes, I we want, are. I want, the, I want the comic series starring Niku and Rose Tico going on some adventures oh where, they, where they fix things and also where they go on spy missions for the Resistance. I, I think that needs to happen. Yes. Lucasfilm. Oh my god. If you're listening, let's make it happen. I will happily give ideas. Sarah and I will will join the story group meeting for a day just to throw some ideas against the wall. Yeah, yeah. Call us. I think Rose Tico, when you look at the film, she's somebody who had just lost her sister, right? So you get that initial scene where she is uh, crying before she meets Finn. And Finn Mm -hmm. is somebody that she looks up to and then quickly realizes is trying to escape. And so you kind of go through this distrust initially. But then how does she come around to trust Finn and to kind of grow on him a little bit and to eventually save his life? So you see a little bit of an arc there where Rose Tico is looking up to Finn in a way that he was a hero that rose above and defended the cause of the resistance, much much like Rose does at the end of The Last Jedi. She kind of stands up for what she believes in, even if it's going to be of great cost in saving Finn. And Emmalyn Holdo, I mean, that performance is incredible. I just think Laura Dern is amazing in anything that she's in. And like you said, the scene with Leia. I'm inclined to say Kelly, though, just for the sake of a, uh, a, more, a more heartfelt character art, simply for the fact that she starts out having just lost her sister. I think Rose Tico goes through more in the film. Not to say that, mm-hmm. that Holdo doesn't, but I just think there's a certain weight that she carries with her throughout that Holdo may not but I mean Holdo is also losing a lot of soldiers throughout the film you know she carries the weight mm-hmm. of loss for the resistance so they're, they, they each carry a weight of their own for sure I am also happy to give this award to my favorite person in the Star War Kelly Retran okay so that's we've an, come to the conclusion one for me yeah absolutely okay. all right it's settled Kelly Marie Tran you are the winner of the Best Supporting Actress Golden Gorg Award. Congratulations. Hopefully, you will have many, many more nominations and wins to come here at the Golden Gorgs. Hopefully. Yes, we accept this award on your behalf, and um, we'll get it in the mail to you ASAP. <laughs> the next category that we are going to be discussing this evening is Best Actor. Best Leading Actor in a Motion Picture Film. For the Star War. Okay. Who are your nominations? Adam Driver, The Last Jedi. Diego Luna, Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor, Revenge of the Sith. John Boyega, The Force Awakens. And Mark Hamill, A New Hope. Excellent nominations. Mine are Hayden Christensen, Revenge of the Sith. Adam Driver, The Last Jedi. Mark Hamill, A New Hope. Diego Luna, Rogue One. And Ian McGregor, Revenge of the Sith. Okay. What are you thinking? Okay. What do you think? There's a little bit, again, a little bit of crossover here. A little bit of crossover. Mm-hmm. So we both got Driver, Hamill, Luna, and McGregor, right? So I would think by process of elimination, mm-hmm. we can take out Christensen. Not that he doesn't give an Im- immensely awesome performance 
in Revenge of the Sith. That hurts a little bit, but I'll but I'll accept it. But for the sake of uh, of debate, uh, this will make it a little easier. Um, the only difference I have on mine mm-hmm. is uh, John Boyega. I think he does an amazing job in The Force Awakens, going from a soldier who watches uh, a, uh, somebody die at the beginning of the film and the trauma that you immediately sense on him mm-hmm. and the Jakku village. And then he gives that great monologue to Ray about, you know, you don't, you don't know me. I, I ran from the first order. Like that speech alone is very good. His emotion when he is on Starkiller base is, is incredible. He gives a really great and funny performance, especially, you know, sanitation. We'll yeah. use the force. Yeah. That's not how the force works. Yep. Yep. John Boyega for me is a highlight of the force awakens. I'm still bummed. We didn't see the full capabilities of him as a Jedi, as a Force user, mm. and, you know, especially after all of the marketing going into the film, because I think that was a, a, a not great, uh, you know, bait and switch. I, I think that was a huge missed opportunity, huge mistake there. John Boyega, though, incredible. But I'm really inclined towards either Diego Luna for Rogue One or Ewan McGregor for revenge of the sith and i hate saying that because adam driver is so good i I you know i think adam driver too i think those are my kind of top three uh mark hamill in a new hope is is great but a little too whiny for me to give the full (laughs) gorg award to so you know i would say i will say on on you know to to advocate for hamill here I, i really do think that he does a great job coming from this outside world and taking on an empire quite literally and his character is what really brings that movie to life so i i will just put in a good put in a good word about mark hamill and a new hope if you haven't seen the movie i highly recommend well he gets a great performance too when he loses ben kenobi you know he's sitting at the dejaric table and he's kind of just yeah. uh, he's kind of grieving i mean that 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 little scene alone that moment is great yes absolutely so but but it seems like we're down to and i want to also you know obviously hating christensen and rots <laughs> guys it doesn't it doesn't even need an explanation fantastic performance just so exciting the scariness of of him with the yellow eyes i'll never forget it but that brings us to the three that we've kind of settled on here adam driver the last jedi diego luna rogue one and ewan mcgregor in revenge of the sith this is tough this is really really tough (laughs) and i don't really know where to go to be honest with you okay so let's break it apart Mm Hmm. Ewan McGregor, right? The emotion of Obi-Wan. You are my brother, Anakin. I loved you. I mean, that scene alone is like really sticking out to me. But then you also have Adam Driver, you know, his speech to write, his plea. You're nothing. You know? You're nothing. Yeah. No, no, you're still holding on. Let go. You know, that. Let go. <laughs> it's, it's really the rage. Um, and even Diego Luna, he has that rage. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. They all have rage at some point in the movie, that like really passionate mm sense of rage built upon you know decades of 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 trauma and loss and um longing for a better future and i think that's Mm -hmm. why their performances stick out but i don't know who gives the most compelling performance i'm really inclined to lead towards lean towards ewan mcgregor simply Mm. for the final scene on mustafar i think when you think of star wars scenes that deliver the most emotion and that can make you instantly cry that's one of them i don't know necessarily if adam driver's performance moves me to tears in the same way although it is a very very impactful performance but also diego luna's acting when he is about to face the final moments of his life and 
all the sacrifice that he goes through. I think those really stick out to me too. Yeah. I think for me, I lean towards Adam Driver just a little bit because I think about the layers that he showed in TLJ when the mask is gone and you see him vulnerable to Snoke and you see him, you know, really wincing at, at Snoke's taunts and you see him really believing in Rey and and really believing that they can do something together and him really feeling for her in a particular way. And I'm, I'm not even saying like a romantic Raylo way, but having having compassion for her in a way that he feels he can ultimately use her in a sense to rule the galaxy together as these two very powerful people. And I just think that scene where they're together after they've fought together and it's the, you know, you're nothing, your parents were nothing, but not to me, join me, Mm -hmm. please, I think is just an incredible performance. And it doesn't have the same levels necessarily as the, you know, the, the pain of Ewan McGregor and the way that he demonstrates that in Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar. But for me... I like some of the subtleties of Driver's performance. Mm. But I but this is so difficult because like I also like I am a Cassian stan. I think Cassian's so compelling. The first 10 minutes of that movie where he kills the informant. Yeah. And 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 has that sense of like hardened shell to him is so interesting to me. So and I, I think he does a really good job of showing that it's really not black and white this rebellion that there's a lot of gray area and they still are doing the right thing but there's a lot of room within that operation to make hard choices Mm -hmm. yeah and we're gonna see even more of that in the the andor series but yeah i mean (gasps) i i think too uh you know going back to mcgregor i i agree with all your points on adam i think mcgregor i think of even uh more subtler moments you talk about subtlety Yoda telling you and I have to, you have to kill Anakin. He's, uh, he goes, I can't, you can't ask me of that. You know, when they're in the Jedi archives, right? And you have that moment where he's just in utter disbelief of what he's seeing. And, and the realization comes upon Ewan McGregor that, oh God, I have to kill my Padawan. That realization alone. And then he has to watch Padme die. And then he has to take mm. Padme's son to Tatooine and give him away and hope that this kid lives to see a future he's gonna have to protect him you know he says nothing in that final scene he just kind of sits there with his hand on his chin you know thinking it's it's very subtle i think there are still a lot of subtleties to uh human's performance or even when he leaves Utapau, you know the the sense of urgency when he talks to bail organa he's like i i don't mm. know i don't know what happened my clone troopers turned on me i i i just i'm in shock right so i i think when we t- when we talk about the performance of adam I think he gives an amazing performance. I guess the reason I'm stuck on Ewan is because I think he's, I think he faces the most in the film. I think he faces more of an uphill battle than relative to, uh, relative to Kylo Ren Mm. because he loses, he loses his Padawan. He loses Padme. He watches the entire order crumble. He loses commander Cody. He has to kill Grievous. He goes through a lot in that film. Likewise, Adam Driver and, and Kylo Ren do as well, but I'm not trying to diminish one or the other to say, you know, it's a lot. It's a, it is a lot when you think about it. You know what? 
I think you've convinced me. And I and, oh. and, and this is a little a little bit painful for me to say because I'm still really stuck on driver. And this might be a controversial pick for our listeners. I'd be curious to know whether yeah. you think about this one. Oh boy. But I think I think you have convinced me that we should give this award to you and McGregor because you're right. He does see a lot and have to make choices through a lot of this movie. And if you don't believe that him and Anakin have this sort of brotherly relationship, if you don't buy into that, the whole battle of the heroes doesn't work. Yeah. If you don't believe that they truly, like that Obi-Wan truly loves Anakin and Obi-Wan cares for him and wants him to be well and wants him to succeed, then that whole conclusion of the movie doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So... Let's give it to Ewan McGregor. Yeah. He acted Let's as hard out. He, he really did. You know, you know, honorable mention to, to Kylo Ren's helmet smash scene. That is incredible acting. Honorable mention. Honorable the mention. most honorable mention. Yeah. Okay. So. A gorg, a gorg cake for that scene alone because there's nothing like it. And it, oh my God. One of the best. So good. One of the best. So good. Okay. So congratulations. The golden gorg for best actor goes to Ewan McGregor for his performance in Revenge of the Sith. We will accept on his behalf. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy this and not join them! Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness! Okay, moving on now to Best Actress. We got three more categories, including this one. We are closing in. All right. So, Sarah, give me your Best Actress nominees. Well... There's a lot less best actress women to choose from, unfortunately, unfortunately in the Star Wars universe. More women in Star Wars, please. We hope that'll change in upcoming years, um, but we do have a couple repeats on this list, which is okay, which is okay, but we're going to go for it. So, on my best actress, Golden Gorg 2021 list, I have Felicity Jones, Rogue One, Daisy Ridley, TLJ, Natalie Portman, Revenge of the Sith, Daisy Ridley, The Force Awakens, and Carrie Fisher, A New Hope. Okay. For me, I have Carrie Fisher, The Empire Strikes Back, Daisy Ridley for both The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. I know. I know. Felicity Jones for Rogue One and Natalie Portman for Revenge of the Sith. All right. So we have, we have a, a difference of opinion on which Carrie, Carrie performance we prefer. Yeah. Carrie rocks anyway. We have a little bit of a difference on Ridley. I picked TFA. You picked Tross. But we agree on TLJ. And then we both have Portman and jones Mm -hmm. so where do we go from here i will say i picked the empire carrie because i think looking at just her relationship with han in that film alone oh yeah i think is so unique they're kind of back and forth that they have i mean just the hallway scene on hoth where they're arguing that's like great stuff that is great star wars and you have lee brackett who wrote much of the scripts before she before she passed away that's why that movie works. You had that extra perspective of of a woman writing the film, and along mm-hmm. with Kazdan's strength as a writer, I think it works really well. I think she just stands out in the "I love you, I know" moments, and the 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 look on her face as she sees Han and Carbonite for the very first time, and that look mm-hmm. of fear and that look of dread of how are we going to fix this? How are we mm-hmm. going to move past this? Daisy for the Rise of Skywalker, I think she still gives mm-hmm. a great performance. Because she deals with a lot in the film, I agree. and I, I mm-hmm. think uh, with with the dynamic between uh, Ben Solo is really great. Same thing with the Last Jedi. Uh, it's really her kind of finding her own and trying to find answers that she won't necessarily find the easy path to. Um, 
Felicity Jones in Rogue One. I mean, come on. Uh, Jin Erso is incredible. Natalie Portman in Revenge of the Sith. I think the scene on Mustafar is is really, really important. Although Anakin, I might be quick. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> you're going down path a path I can't, I can't follow. follow. You know, I would say my gut would be to uh, focus less on Natalie, just for the sake of, of screen time during Revenge of the Sith. I think she probably has the least screen time of any of these of these leads. So I would be more inclined to look at, you know, between Carrie, Daisy, or Felicity. What are you thinking? My gut is telling me Daisy, TLJ. And uh, for me, I, I feel that she did such a wonderful job of digging through this really complicated mythology to find her own place in it. And I, I, that moment of, dis- there are just such moments of discovery in TLJ that I just think are so mesmerizing and gigantic. And it's the little moments for her that I think are the strongest. But she has that moment in the cave. She has that moment when she's in the 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 tree, the tree um on Octo. She's persistent. She's determined and she really shows that despite some of her own uncertainty about the world that she now inhabits and has been thrust into. And I think she does a really excellent job with the story that is is given for Ray. And I just remember being so enamored with Ray and with her character and feeling so empowered by her and that performance and there's nothing better than when she's on octo and she has the poncho on and she's under the falcon (laughs) and she just has her fingers out and she's touching the rain Mm -hmm. and it's so it's such a small thing that it's just so joyous and hopeful and it's it's pitch perfect it's pitch perfect you've done it you've convinced me because now i'm thinking about it too i mean feral ray Feral Ray feral as well. Ray. I mean, we have all the subtleties, but we also get Feral Ray. <laughs> I think that alone. I, I do think this is the film where it kind of showed it's okay to be messy. Yeah, messy is good. Feral Ray is a great example of, of, of how that comes through. You know, just the anger and the frustration building up of, you know, I want answers. I want to know my place in the story. I haven't really gotten it. And I just want to kill this Praetorian guard right now because I'm, I'm yep. a little bit angry, yep. right? And her plea, you know, to Ben, you know, stop firing. We can save the fleet still. And I think Mm -hmm. that scene, too. So I I agree. Let's give it to Daisy and Last Jedi. I'm cool with that if you are. I'm definitely cool with that. I just made an argument for it. So let's do it. Okay. So Daisy Ridley. For your performance in The Last Jedi, we award you a Golden Gorg. We accept it on your behalf and we'll put it in the mail. Right, right now. Right now. Literally right it's now. It's already in the mail. Just put it, yeah. in, my, just put it in my mailbox. We just box. did it. We just did it. Which brings us to our final two awards of the evening. Best Director is the next award up on the docket. And Brad, let's go for your nominees. Okay. We have George Lucas for Star Wars. Irvin Kirshner for The Empire Strikes Back. Ryan Johnson for The Last Jedi. Richard Marquands for Return of the Jedi. And Ron Howard for Solo. Had to throw Ron Howard in there simply for the fact that he is an amazing director. 
and I think he did a great job with Solo considering these circumstances. And that film is actually a very visually stunning in many ways. So yeah. uh, just for the yeah. sake of the kind of car race aesthetic to it that he mm-hmm. sort of instilled. Uh, and, and all these are great directors. What are your nominations? My nominations are Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi, Gareth Edwards, Rogue One, George Lucas, Revenge of the Sith, Richard Marquand, Return of the Jedi, and Irvin Kirshner for Empire Strikes Back. This is tough. You know what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advocate for a, a bit of a, a bit of a underdog right here. I'm going to advocate for Richard Marquand. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and this may be because we recently watched some movies featuring some fuzzy murder bears. <laughs> and maybe I have a soft spot in my heart for the murder bears right now. <laughs> but I think that in order to have a successful film, and have a successful film for kids and for families that takes the first two films, takes the stakes of those films and wraps up this trilogy, you need a smart filmmaker. And I think Richard Marquand was the right guy to do the job. To wrap up this trilogy, you think of the end scene, Yubnub, Victory Celebration, whether, whatever song you put at the end. There is such a joyousness and a sense of accomplishment and a beauty to that final shot of them all together, you know, looking off into the end. We also get great moments with Darth Vader and the Emperor. We get great, hilarious moments with Wicket, the Ewok, and our Ewok friends and the Rebels. And also, like, the bonking of the ATST. Incredible oh, work. Oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> I, I think there's a, an interesting journey that these characters go on in this film and something there's something a bit subversive about like having leia in the bounty hunter armor and um and then having her as well be this really powerful hero in this in this space we think of java sail barge you know like really powerful and someone you wouldn't suspect to be powerful because of the attire that she's wearing which you know is a whole other conversation but we can we can save it and that's why I'm just, I'm just, I just went for it. I just went for Richard Marquand, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Do you have other thoughts? I mean, I'd also happily give this award to Ryan Johnson. We know I love The Last Jedi. Excellent work. Beautiful movie. 10 out of 10. You know, I'm not doubting the abilities or the, the success of Richard Marquand. I don't know if I can agree in a stacked category featuring Kirshner and Johnson, <laughs> who I'm very, okay, very inclined to give it to. Uh, Lucas on A New Hope incredible as we've talked about you know he didn't quite take home the the oscar at the 1978 awards ron howard as i mentioned very good very noteworthy i just am re- really leading towards kirshner and and johnson and maybe it's the darker middle chapter in me that that i'm really just mm. inclined i think ryan gives us a lot of unique star wars shots i mean you have the holdo maneuver you have a lot of uh, amazing shots on Octo, you know, the final scene with Luke looking at the sunset. You have a lot of amazing shots on Crate. You have the, the cave. You have the shot of Luke silhouette saying it's time for the Jedi to end. You have the, the attack on the Dreadnought, you know, with Poe Dameron. You got that really slick move where he does a little barrel roll in his X-Wing. You got the throne is- room. I mean, that red throne room. Come on. Amazing amazing the the holdo maneuver the holdo maneuver i mean that was groundbreaking for star wars now when you put it up against kirshner i think kirshner is dealing with a lot of the same circumstances you split the heroes up 
you get some great sequences dealing with Frank Oz. Uh, also, you know, Ryan Johnson is dealing with Frank Oz as well. You know, on Dagobah, um, with the uh-huh. training of Luke, uh, Cloud City. I mean, that set piece in Cloud City is incredible. The Battle of Hoth, incredible. The fact that they had to go out into the Arctic to shoot it, and it was freezing. <laughs> And you got those amazing Empire Strikes Back crew jackets, the blue ones that I, I you yes. can't, you can buy those. They are hundreds of dollars. Maybe I will own one someday. And, you know, Ryan Johnson facing, uh, bringing this saga back to the fold and following up on JJ's success uh, doesn't come easy. It's a very hard job to do, especially in the middle when you know you're not going to be completing the trilogy. I'm 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 really torn. I don't know what you're thinking based on what I just said, but I would be curious to hear your thoughts. I'm, this one's really tough. So I have a unless you're still contra- standing, Richard Marquand again. You know what? <laughs> I um I th- I mean I think I think all my points are valid and fair and good. <laughs> no, they are. They are completely. Ryan Johnson is my number one. Yeah, and I, for me, when I look at Empire Strikes Back, excellent, excellent piece of work. But I do feel that it moves a little slow at times. And I think The Last Jedi has a bit better pacing for me. And I think that for me, the elements of The Last Jedi, The Last Jedi feels quite visionary in a lot of ways to me. And that is due to the direction and, and the, the precision of, of Ryan Johnson in that film. So if I had to choose between the two, I would lean Ryan Johnson personally. Okay. Oh, it's tough. It's tough, Irvin. I'm sorry to do this to you, bud, but I think I have, I think <laughs> I have to go with Ryan Johnson because, again, just for the sake of, of his vision, it's just so unique. You can tell when you're watching a Ryan Johnson film, and I think there are just some, some setups in that film that you just really cannot beat. And he really did something groundbreaking in giving us Star Wars that was so different and subverted our expectations. I know we say that a lot, but I think it it was done for the better because it it told us Star Wars can be something different. It doesn't have to follow a a mold. You just have to do the things that inspired Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it'll work. And that's what he did. He wasn't inspired by Star Wars when he was doing it. He was inspired by the things that inspired Star Wars in a way. Yeah. And I I think that's why it works because he is leaning into those aspects of filmmaking rather than rather than just hitting you over the head with familiar. So I think we should give to Ryan Johnson. Absolutely. Ryan Johnson, on behalf of the friends, (laughs) we award you the first ever Golden Gorg for Best Director. Incredible. We accept it on your behalf, and um, we will be sending it to you shortly, perhaps via Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) We'll tag him in the the tweet. Yeah, yeah. That brings us to our final category of the night. The final golden gorg. The most golden of our gorgs for best picture. Damn. I'm going to go ahead and start with my nomination. Take it away. A New Hope, Revenge of the Sith, The Last Jedi, Rogue One, and Return of the Jedi. Note the omission. Just because I'm feeling a little spicy this evening. (laughs) Your turn. All right. I have A New Hope, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Last Jedi. Now, notably, your omission, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> uh, Widely considered to be the best Star Wars film amongst fans, you know, but, you know, I just like to spice it up a little bit. 
you're really riding that Ewok adventures high. I mean, you're just, you're just, I am. Return of the Jedi is amazing. It is often underrated as a film. The Last Jedi seems like an obvious choice here since we just awarded it does Brian Johnson as our best director. We also awarded Daisy Ridley as our best actress and Kelly Marie Tran as our best supporting actress. So there's a lot of momentum here for Last Jedi. And I think that would be a worthy choice. We also have another big hitter this evening in Revenge of the Sith with wins for Ian McDermott as best supporting actor and Ewan McGregor as best actor. And Best score to Revenge of the Sith. So we're tied 3-3 here oh, for man. Last Jedi and Revenge of the oh, Sith. Oh, it all so comes down to this. Okay, so Part of me thinks we can just narrow it down to these two. I am okay with that. Okay. okay. Where do we go from here? Ooh, <laughs> what do God, we do? I'm going to be so controversial here. Okay. Oh, boy. I don't know how either of these choices is controversial, but... <laughs> no. You know, I really want to say Last Jedi because it is my favorite film of Star Wars. Oh, boy. I'm really inclined. I'm just in a Revenge of the Sith kind of mindset. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's just the sense of stakes and the urgency in that film and the the what what you watch and you know just coming off of the siege of mandalore last year you have like i have such like a newfound appreciation for order 66 and the trauma and especially after jedi fallen order the trauma that mm. came with that mm-hmm. you know it's not just simply a, a, a few minutes in a film it is it affected the galaxy it crumbled everything it crumbled every institution everything came crashing down within moments so for me, I feel the weight of all of that. And as a film, as a best picture, I, I, I think of those things. And, and, and just the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin and the falling out that happens and how tragic it is. And we know Star Wars is tragedy. Not to say there aren't stakes in The Last Jedi. There are huge stakes in The Last Jedi. But I think about Revenge of the Sith being a film that topped off not only a not only a trilogy, but an entire saga at that time in 2005. I don't know what you're thinking. I, I love The Last Jedi. I hate doing this, but I'm really feeling Revenge of the Sith. Let's do oh, it. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm in full support of this decision. Revenge of the Sith is my comfort movie. You know, it, it wins me over for Tarful and Boga alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Veractals alone. Is, yes, The Last Jedi is excellent work. My favorite Star Wars. I love it. But there's just, there's something special about Revenge of the Sith, you know? And, and I come back to it all the time, it feels like. And it's, I feel like it probably came at the right time in my childhood. It just hits. Mm-hmm. It just hits. And um, we're, I, we're giving it to Revenge of the Sith. We're, we're doing it. So nothing but congratulations to the team behind Revenge of the Sith. Your crowning achievement has been rewarded by the most prestigious Award show there is, the Friends of the Force, Golden Gorg Awards. Um, congrats on winning the inaugural award. We will have infinite number of awards to send out to everybody who made Revenge of the Sith, and we will send it to you once we get all those produced, because it's going to take a hot minute. Yep. We will be throwing the after party at the Skywalker Vineyard, uh, Skywalker Ranch yes. Vineyard. So if you yes. want to attend, there is going to be a lot of Skywalker Ranch wine. 
Um, mm-hmm. I still need to join that wine club. I think I'm, I think I might do it, honestly. Um, oh my gosh. I think I need to. I think as a, as a Star Wars fan, I feel obligated. I see Brandon from Talking Bay 94 talking about it all the time. <laughs> all the time. So I think I need to. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, well, that's, that, that's settled. So you want to go over quickly, just again, recapping our, our winners? Of course. So for best score, we have John Williams for Revenge of the Sith. Best supporting actor, we have Ian McDermott for Revenge of the Sith. Best Supporting Actress, we have Kelly Marie Tran for The Last Jedi. Best Leading Actor, we have Ewan McGregor for Revenge of the Sith. Best Actress, we have Daisy Ridley for The Last Jedi. Best Director, we have Ryan Johnson for The Last Jedi. And finally, once again, Best Picture, we have Revenge of the Sith. And that concludes these Golden Gorgs. I'm pretty thrilled with that. I'm, I'm very happy and content with all of those results. If you listen to this episode this far, I mean, two hours and 40 minutes in, Congrats. You made it. Well, it's, you know, we are doing this in traditional Oscar fashion. I mean, the, the award show for the Oscars <laughs> is like three hours too long. Oh my God. Likewise, this episode is just three hours too long, but I'm very happy that we're here. Well, finally, I mean, that brings us to our next and final segment of the 2021 Oscars. What we are so excited about which by the time this episode comes out, if you're listening to it after the day it was released, there's probably been an Oscar ceremony. So you know who the winners are, but we don't. And so we're going to take a couple minutes here, just at the end of this episode, just to talk about the Oscars and give you some of our recommendations from this 2021 Oscars, because you've probably seen all the Star Wars movies dozens of times, which I mean, same, haven't we all? (laughs) But maybe you haven't seen some of these Oscar movies. Yeah. Maybe you haven't looked into some of these categories. And we want to expose you to these movies. We want to recommend them with our impeccable taste, as we mentioned at the top of the show, and share them with you. So for the 2021 Oscars, I should note, they're taking place much later because of COVID. Womp womp pandemic. Very sad. But they're having an in-person ceremony. It's going to be a bit smaller. It's going to be at Union Station in LA. There's going to be no host like last year. All the original songs are going to be in some sort of pre-show, which is interesting. and. We're having a bit of a different ceremony this year, which means that the Oscar nominations for this year are a little bit different. And the predictions are a little bit all over the place, I think. You could kind of go with a handful of these for any of them. What are your thoughts on the 2021 Oscars? Yeah, so I'm really interested to see how this is all going to work in COVID because they are doing a dual site where, like you said, Union Station, and they're going to have some more live elements happening at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, which I think is traditionally where it's held. But It'll be interesting. That's being produced by Steven Soderbergh, who is like a great filmmaker. So it should be it should be interesting. But I I will I will be uh, I'll be perplexed to see people in person at the Oscars because they are doing a lot of COVID testing on site and making sure that it's it's as safe as possible. And I think there's you know uh, quarantines that they have to follow before they do the show. I think they're going to not allow any Zoom speeches. So pretty much, if you want to be there, you want to be there. And, and hopefully if you win, you can, you can accept your Oscar in person. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how it all works. Obviously 2020 has been a very weird year in movies and they have also extended out the eligibility requirements, whereas it typically ends on January 1st, it's ending on February 28th. So that made some additional films eligible for the Oscars. So it will be it will be interesting. I'm just very excited to have it back in my life again. Uh, I I wasn't a huge fan of of the Golden Globe and uh, the Emmy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
uh, Emmy ceremonies. I thought they were a little lackluster. I think it really just boils down to not having it in person. I think it's really tough. And again, you shouldn't have had it in person at those times because, you know, COVID is still very much a very, very big part of our lives. You know, 60,000 cases a day still. Take it very seriously if you're not already. And you have to do these things very carefully. So I hope they can do it as safely as possible. But I will say, like, for my recommendations, if you haven't already seen some of these films, Nomadland is great. Uh, Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed is amazing. Minari with Steven Yeun is a fantastic film. Very good, feel-good film. And Moraney's Black Bottom, which is Chadwick Boseman's last film. I think he is the favorite to win the the Best Actor Oscar. posthumously so i think he'll be taking that home pretty easily Uh, his performance in that alone is worth watching it's on netflix so if you haven't watched it i would really recommend doing so it's incredible it'll move you to uh pretty close to tears but uh sound of metal too is great nomad land by chloe zhao she's doing the eternals this year uh so this is her you know independent film that she's doing before that before she goes to a big ip so mm-hmm. it, it's uh, those are all great films that I would recommend, and I'm hoping that some of them take home awards. So I'm predicting Nomadland probably wins Best Picture. That seems to have a lot of steam right now. So that's my so that's my Best Picture prediction. So what are your suggestions, Sarah? And what is your Best Picture prediction as well? Absolutely, and I also want to highlight very quickly where we can find some of these films. Nomadland is on Hulu. Sound yep. Metals on Amazon. Minari. Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. All right. And then Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, as you said, is on Netflix. I'm going to recommend six films for a total list of 10. We've got One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. That's available on Amazon and is based on the play by Kemp Powers. If you recognize his name, it's because he is also involved in Soul um, and was one of the screenwriters in Soul. I'm going to recommend Collective, which is a documentary, I believe, out of Romania. And it is raw. It treads the line between hope and hopelessness. And it's very compelling. Uh, that's available on Hulu. A Concerto is a Conversation is a documentary short available on YouTube between a grandfather and a grandson. And it's very linked to the Academy in a way that you find out in the 16 minutes. I think it's beautifully shot, very intimate, and just a wonderful conversation between these two men and their lives. I'm going to recommend Emma, of course. This oh, came out pre-pandemic, so but like, oh my God, it warms my heart. Mr. Knightley. <laughs> okay, nothing better. That's available, I believe, on HBO Max. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, by the way. Oh, amazing. I love her. <sighs> Johnny Flynn as Mr. Knightley. Just great, great, excellent, good, good stuff. Um, we've also got Time, which is another documentary. Can you tell I like documentaries? That one is available on Amazon. That one is about um, this woman and her husband who committed a crime when they were young and she is out of prison and he is still in prison. Um, and her, her, her sons and their family all together. And it's really powerful. It's, it's about, it's got montage. It's, it's very interesting. And the final one is also a documentary that you wouldn't believe is a documentary while you're watching it called The Mole Agent. I believe it's from Chile. I could be wrong about the country of origin forgive me if I am, but that one is also available on Hulu. And it is about an older man who signs up with a private investigator to go into this nursing home and find out on behalf of the client if the nursing home is abusing the client's mother. And it's really not 
as dark as I just painted it to be. <laughs> it, it, it's very kind of heartwarming and a little bit sad at times, but overall ultimately has an ending that I think is satisfactory and makes you feel good. And also, but also just the way this movie is put together. I'm like, how is this a documentary and not a narrative feature film? It just is so wild. It's, it is wild. Yeah. So those are some great recommendations. Uh, I mean, you have plenty of time to watch these films. You don't have to watch them before the Oscars to enjoy them. You can enjoy them at any time. And I would definitely recommend doing so because uh, even though we love Star Wars, we also love watching a lot of other movies. So hopefully if you watch any of these, please let us know. I'd be happy to hear your thoughts, uh, whether you DM us on Twitter or send us an email. Let us know if you took one of our suggestions to heart and uh, found a new favorite movie, because that's always exciting to spread the movie love. Yeah, absolutely. But Sarah, that about wraps it up for our Oscars episode. So we did it. We did it. That's pretty much it. I'm really happy we got to talk about the Oscars, especially the history of Star Wars at the Oscars. I learned a lot during this uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the cultural importance of, of, of Star Wars and that one night in 1978 and just how wild it was. And it's just, again, going back to, to mustache Ben Burt with the bow tie. I just got to just got to shout him out one final time before we close it out here, Sarah. Mm-hmm, one mm-hmm, final time. Absolutely. But where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Twitter at SCH221 and on Goodreads and Letterboxd by the same username and on Instagram at Sarah's Puzzled Pages. As for the Friends of the Forest podcast, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure wherever you're listening to please leave a rating on the show. If you can, a five-star written review really helps that podcast algorithm for other people to find the show and join the discussion. You can also join our Patreon. Thank you to our current patrons, Amy, Anna, Brian, Brian, Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Knights of Ren, Levi, Lindsay, Marie Claire, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, Skytalkers, and T. Thank you. Patreon is a great way to support the show if you are not already. Helps to fund a lot of the costs that go into the show. And we also put out a lot of fun exclusive content. Coming later in May, we are doing a Revenge of the Sith novelization discussion, which I'm very, very excited about because we haven't read that book yet. And, uh, you know, Revenge of the Sith, riding off of that Golden Gorg win tonight. Big night for Revenge mm, of the Sith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, we're just going to yes. we're just gonna continue that steam there. For all of you listening, thank you so much once again. And until next time, may the Force be with you always. Bye. Bye.